0: Hello and welcome to episode number 339 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show we say a fond farewell to BA's last two remaining 747s, but there may be good news. The A220 turns into the next new bizjet and a woman is caught trying to take rather a lot of money into Dubai. And in the military news this week, Russia's new fighter jet goes topless. Canada receives their first CC-295 Kingfisher search and rescue aircraft, and we have some exciting news about the Red Arrows. So, joining me this week in the PTUK's Master Suite Studios, it is, of course, the man who, well, let's just say, pushes all the right buttons. It's Matt Smith, yes, and I think the classic,
1: uh, the classic "Why joke is, is not necessarily in the right order. But anyway, there we go. Yes, hello, hello, the the PTUK UK Master Suite Studio. That that's a mouthful
0: and a half. Well, it's, it's come a long way <laughs> in the last few months, mate. You know, you've got you've got the exit sign above the that door. That is true. Yeah, I have. Yeah, you know. I
1: got, yeah so was it? What did we say it was? It's off uh, 747-400, wasn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah Matts. Yeah, you've
0: yeah. got the 747-400 be, exit sign. I'll
1: have, to, I'll have to take a picture mm. and show everyone, won't I, at mm. some point? Mm. But, uh, and, yes. and
0: it's a BA one as well. Which it is, is a BA exciting. one, yes, absolutely.
1: Very quite kindly exciting. sent to us by the praying reclaimers, Andrew, wasn't it? Yes,
0: yes, very yeah. kind of him indeed. But uh, no, all, all good, Matt. How are things with you? Good? Yes, yes, not bad. I'll be honest with you, I'm
1: absolutely sick. To the back teeth of rain? Oh. everything in the rain. Oh. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Not fed up with it. Absolutely fed up. Every single school run I've done in the in the last sort of couple of weeks is just it's either rained in the morning or rained in the afternoon. <laughs>
0: yeah, but for me and you, Matt, you know as well as I do that you know like today when I got back, I spent nearly an hour cleaning my truck Well, yes, truck. this is
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. And I
0: know that next week. As soon as I drive back, time. To Wales, absolutely. Why did time? you bother? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: anyway, yes.
0: So joining us, uh, he's back this week. He is back from his whirlwind tour of Europe, and uh, we're <laughs> so glad. Swi- he's back.
1: Switzerland and <laughs> D- Dublin, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Right.
0: So welcome back onto the show. Oh, we're glad to have you back, Nev. We have missed you. It's Neville Bounds.
3: Yes, hello. I am back. Yeah, and it was uh, Belfast and Sweden. Oh, Belfast, close, enough. close right. enough. Right, my apologies. <laughs> Tell you what, though the weather in Sweden last week was very nice indeed. It was about 16 degrees and uh, very sunny, uh, very nice it was too. And uh, the nice thing about there, of course, is that there's no mask wearing going on at all, really, apart from at the airport and on the aircraft. Uh, so that was a nice change, I must say. A bit of a shock coming back here on Monday morning to uh, put everything back on again, like mm. you do, you know, mm-hmm. shops. But uh, how are the they, flights?
0: Uh, how are the flights, Nev?
3: Uh, very good. Yeah, uh, actually very full, I'm pleased to say. Uh, full A320 going out and coming back. Um, that was very good news. So, uh, yeah, very good with the the BA folks, I'm pleased to say. Um, so, yeah, very happy.
0: Good. Seat 1A's looked after you then.
3: Uh, it did on the way back. I had to slum it in seat 1C on the way out. Oh, no. But, <laughs> oh hey, no. crisis. Ouch. I, Ouch. I Ouch. My deck. So, so <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Oh, it's good to have you back, Nevs. Love oh. to see you back. Um, so yeah, we are, we're oh my, actually you may have noticed that we are missing uh, Armando this week, unfortunately. Armando is very busy obviously because he has had a lot going on in his world over the last uh, few weeks, hasn't he, guys? With uh, uh,
1: yes, pastures absolutely.
0: new indeed. So yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, so. The worst
1: thing is we're not allowed to say anything about it at all because no. of what he does. But anyway, there we are. Yes, a <laughs> new job for Armando anyway. Very exciting. But he he right? has sent
0: us uh, a video segment for the military yep. segments. So yes, so we're
1: hearing from him in the military yep. as
4: normal. Yep.
0: But we have got a. A super, a super sub, super sub, super uh, guest host joining us on the show tonight. You've probably heard his voice there uh, in the intro, and it, is, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back the man who puts the first class into layovers, oh, is, of say. course <laughs> Paul <laughs> How are you, Paul? I was terrified where he was going with that
1: for a minute, I'll be honest. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no organism um, no no indeed. So, yeah that's very good <laughs> hi guys <laughs> hi guys no no first class no no travel for me nevi is travelling for for all of us and I'm vicariously living <laughs> that through him actually Hi, oh, everybody how everybody on the chat how everybody on the podcast and on youtube so paul obviously with as you quite rightly just said the flight the whole
0: flying thing has just gone so quiet for you but uh, it, are there any glimmers of
5: light in the future? <laughs> I mean, here, for me, uh, for, indu- for me, for the industry, uh, <laughs> look, I, uh, the, the, the reality is my market is usually Asia. Asia is closed. Asia is closed at least until spring 2021. So there won't be any trouble there. Um, so maybe a few travels in here and there, but for the moment, I'm not truly missing it, to be frankly honest with you. So I'm very really fine,
6: actually, to be so honest. You, you've with not I know. Taken- I,
5: I, and I, and Avgeek an shouldn't say that, but I'm fine not tra- traveling for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: was going to say, Paul, you have, you've not fancy taking one of those flights to nowhere that's been advertised? Mm,
5: no. I, do they do that in the UK? I don't think so. It's, no, um, no, 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 Singapore is doing it. Australia is doing it. Taiwan, I think, is doing it. But I think Taiwan, you stay on the ground. You just get in, you get food, and you leave the aircraft. You never leave the ground, okay. I think. Something like that. Right. Yeah.
1: Wow, I, I didn't realize uh, you know uh, airplane food had improved that much. I'll be honest.
5: No. <laughs> actually, actually, Singapore Airlines. I don't know why, but Singapore Airlines keeps sell, you know sending me on the newsletter stuff that is really for Singapore. And they say, oh, you can dine with us in our 380 on the ground. I'm like, Lovely. yeah, but first, how do I get to Singapore?
1: <laughs> small detail.
0: Small detail. <laughs> But we are actually on that note. You know, what really annoys me is the amount of emails I've got just in the last few weeks from various like car high companies, uh, BA for one as well, um, EasyJet, Ryanair. Book, book now, cheap flights, cheap flights, book now, cheap holdies, book this, book that, book this. Where am I going to go? Where am I going go? to go? Yeah, I know. We've just got, we got to play the waiting game, haven't we? Yes, we have. But. Yeah. We have got to say a big welcome to everyone in the YouTube chat room who's joined us this evening. Uh, We've got loads of family members in there, some extra ones as well in this week. This is good to see. We've got uh, Captain Cruz. Hello to you, Captain Cruz. Stephen Ivey, Andreas Norton. Hello to you, Andreas. Good to see you in this week. Uh, Our main man, Micah, is in the chat room as well. Richard Adams, Tony S., Uh, Just scrolling down, let's make sure I didn't... It's Dave Abbey. Hello to you, Dave Abbey.
1: Oh, I haven't seen Dave for a long time. Do you you know what? Actually, weirdly, I was looking at photos this week because it was around about... It was November time that I Mm. went out to... to new york and obviously i had the great pleasure of meeting up with myself and uh owen were out there and we we got the opportunity to meet up with dave abbey and he he gave mm. us a wonderful tour of new york um and if you are in new york and you can get your hands on david then highly recommended because it was a fantastic walking tour he took us on anyway sorry i digress i want to do that yeah
0: ah, highly recommended bucket list, list yeah absolutely <laughs> What else have we got? We've got uh, Sturman. Hello to you, Sturman, as well. Hello, Gareth. Uh, Alan Loveday, Benjamin Todd. uh... Oh, I haven't seen Ben for a long time. Yeah, Ben Todd's in Australia. He's in Australia, isn't he? Isn't it stupid o'clock where he is currently? probably must be stupid. (laughs) Don't forget, as well, if you are listening to the audio version of the show, don't forget to whip over to youtube type us in plain talking uk and uh, hit that subscribe button and the bell icon which is right next to it to be notified when we are live and recording like we are now and then you can join all this slot in the chat room and have a good old-fashioned knees up in the chat room Absolutely. so yeah. can't can't be talking about as i say like-minded aviation
1: geeks you can all talk about usually food i think that's normally what happens isn't it <laughs> but
0: <laughs> so uh there's lots of news this going to get through so we better get on We have some yep. commercial Aviation news. So uh, we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with a rundown of the weekly news from across the world and the UK. So if everyone's ready, yeah, let's go.
3: Yes, on writers.com, here's quite a, a big story that uh, was on the television and on the radio yesterday. Uh, it says BA's Queen of the Skies jumbos bid farewell to rainy London. And it was very rainy yesterday, actually. Uh, British Airways' last jumbo jets bade farewell to London on Thursday, but cloud and driving rain prevented a rare synchronized dual takeoff for the Queen of the Skies, which uh, brought long-haul flights to the masses. Once the world's largest operator of the 747, BA has now retired its entire jumbo jet fleet after COVID-19 curtailed most air travel, accelerating the move to more uh, more fuel-efficient planes. Uh, Chief Executive Alex Cruz said that it was a difficult day for everybody at British Airways as the aircraft leaves our home at Heathrow for the very last time. Uh, the airline had planned a rarely seen synchronised dual take-off on parallel Heathrow runways, but the weather prevented that. And uh, the final flights were witnessed by BA staff and engineers who lined up to see them off. For over 50 years, the 747 has been the world's most easily recognised jetliner with its humped fuselage, four engines and 16 main wheels. Uh, It took its maiden flight in 1969 and soon secured its place in history as the jet which allowed more affordable air travel due to its size and range. Passengers have included John Paul II, who arrived for his first visit to Ireland by a pope, on an Air Lingus 747 in 1979. Ayatollah Khomeini returned to Iran from exile on an Air France jumbo uh, during the is- Islamic Revolution that year. BA's predecessor BOAC introduced the 747 on the London-New York route in 1971 and at its peak, BA had 57 747-400 aircraft. Former pilots have told how the jet took some getting used to from a cockpit positioned almost 30 feet above the ground and more when angling the nose higher just before touching the runway. It was like landing a block of flats from the second floor, <laughs> the Dibley, uh, a former BOAC captain uh, told Reuters. The owner of uh, British Airways is battling uh, to survive after the pandemic wiped out much of the global flying market, which is why they've... Uh, had to retire these slightly early they were going to retire them i think in 2024 but they've brought that forward uh, mainly because of the fuel efficient uh, uh, 787s and 350s but also they need to save money uh, on maintenance costs i would imagine as well so mm. uh, but it was a shame that the weather was so bad yesterday so they couldn't do that uh, dual takeoff on, on both runways it was a great shame
0: did you say it was a 747? Uh, that retired. I did, yes. Oh, I thought it was a
3: 737. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, the, the media uh, once again couldn't quite get it right today, could they? And uh, I did see on Sky News uh, on the Sky News website uh, that they were saying that the BA had retired the 737.
1: <laughs> although as I said, I've actually got the, uh, the the weirdly, do you know the really sad thing is I've literally just loaded this page and it still hasn't been corrected. Yeah, oh, you thought by bad. now
3: someone might have just gone... Yeah,
1: absolutely. And yet, weirdly, if you scroll down to what you see where the little video and the picture is... Yes. there it does clearly state that it was a 747 jumbo jet so as you say, it probably ironically just a very humble accidental key press um, <laughs> you know because let's be honest the threes and fours I think as you said in our group chat earlier you know the threes and fours aren't very much next to each other so I yeah. suppose you so could sort of fat fingers you, you could have well thought, absolutely yes answer. you know but welcome to my world hey <laughs> uh, it's one of those actually worth mentioning as well uh, I hope you guys don't mind uh, me, me saying but um, obviously where they flew to if I uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, that they went to Kemble, didn't they? Uh,
3: these two aircraft, is that correct? One went to Kemble and went to Athens, uh in South Wales.
1: Indeed, and the very nice thing here is uh, we had uh, one of our correspondents on the ground uh, in Kemble uh, to receive said aircraft. Jonathan Warner was actually in Kemble and uh, very kindly sent me this afternoon some pictures that he took of said aircraft uh, being mm-hmm. um, sort of, sort of basically uh, arriving uh, there. I mean, it, they, well, as always, look at those absolutely stunning photographs, as always. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Jonathan Warner. If you're listening to the audio version of the show, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll make Make sure I embed the pictures into the show notes because they really are quite special. But
5: um, did yeah. you get
0: the chance, Paul, to uh, to fly on the BA Queen of the Skies when you were? I,
5: oh my god! You know what? Actually, only once. It was uh, Dubai to uh, Dubai to London, actually to Heathrow, probably twenty seventeen. Uh, the sixty four k was it? You know the best seats in the sky, so that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I like mm-hmm. it. I I flew the seven four seven like. Thousands of times with other airlines, but for some reason, for beer, yeah, I was never on it. Um, so yeah, but I'm I'm really sad. But you know what? The the, the rain was at the end kind of appropriate, I guess. Yeah. because it's how that's the weather we know the most. So it was very a very British send off.
1: yes Uh, yes, in the pouring rain yes that sounds about right doesn't it yeah it's typical British weather isn't it absolutely it's uh, it's, uh, well it marks the sad occasion very nicely doesn't it I guess Yes. And of course, yeah. the last
3: uh, flight that Carlos and I took uh, was indeed on a seven four seven. It was uh, on the way back from the Dubai Air Show. Uh, little did we know. Oh was, wow, the Last nice. time we, uh, yeah. we ever flew on uh, on that aircraft. Uh, yeah.
1: did, did you? Did you? Did you? Didn't you do a bit of business class on one of those legs? Uh, we yes. I, we did yes. So, so you experienced a little bit of business class on the seven four seven then?
3: Uh, we did, yes. Uh, it's but really we also nice, huh? uh, managed to uh, get up front. Oh Lord, just, look at that! Look at that! Uh, ne- oh S- nice! Super efficient. Yes. What, a great, oh, nice. what
5: a great! Picture that is. Love it. If you look if you I would look love
3: at the... you.
5: I would love you guys to to, to 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 fly me. I mean, I'm sure I would arrive in style. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. maybe not yeah. in one piece, no, but no, in no, style. Small fly. detail.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Right, come on, we better move on to the next story because uh, otherwise we'll be running out of time. Now, uh, the next story says so getreading.co.uk is the next website. And the headline is Popular Plane Tracking Websites Hacked in Spate of Mystery <laughs> Cyber attacks. Uh, attacks. Now, this is a, a sort of slightly odd story. In fact, actually, when we were having our meeting, we were we sort of saying, why would people want to be, you know, why would people be attacking um, the sites? And We couldn't really get an answer, so it would be interesting to see if the if the chat room has any idea why, um, but yeah, basically, flight radar Ra- flight radar twenty four said it had suffered three attacks in two days, and plane finder also reported a similar incident. Um, so, plane tracking websites flight radar twenty four and plane finder have been hacked in a series of cyber attacks, and uh, the incidents blocked users from accessing feeds following the sustained attacks on the websites that monitor traffic at UK airports such as Birmingham, Heathrow, Manchester, Cardiff, and further afield. Flight radar twenty four said it. Had suffered three attacks in two days and it initially struggled to restore the service uh, plane finder said that there may have been issues accessing plane finder at the moment it seems that our, it's our turn to have our systems attacked our team are working hard to restore normal service please be Bear with us, um, we will provide updates as and when we have them. Both websites allow users to track the flight paths of commercial and private planes across the globe. Some military services are also included. Uh, flight Radar Twenty Four lists around about two million users and tracks one hundred and eighty thousand flights every single day. It includes aircraft manufacturers such as Airbus and Boeing amongst many of its customers. The site can identify an, an aircraft. Anyway, we all we are, kind of, are not going to carry on reading. Really that because we all know what um flight radar 24 is capable of but um so my understanding there correct me if i'm wrong it's what they call a ddos attack wasn't it where it was um basically denying service by hammering uh their servers with ping ping requests essentially as a way of um preventing uh people from being able to access company websites and things like that and uh, i just I, i'm not entirely the thing that's yeah, i mean you know there's there's conspiracy theories where you know the russians are doing it all the time to to do bits of, but it's i'm curious as to why somebody would want to bring down yeah, something right. like makes no sense yeah like <laughs> makes no to, to sense. i mean i, I, I don't know unless, unless it's although i think i think when we were having our meeting i think didn't john say something about it? because quite quite often deals can be done um you know based on sort of following you know certain private jets being sort of flown from one place to another so perhaps it's a way of preventing people from from sort of denying you know finding out what plane is going where uh, so they could make some money off the back of it i guess i don't know but uh, i mean a- any clues as to why somebody want to do something like this no okay good lovely <laughs> <laughs> Ev- 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 <laughs> Ev- <laughs>
3: <laughs> any thoughts nev uh, well no I mean it just strikes me that um, I think the problem is isn't that, I mean th- this these um, hacks go on all the time uh, in all sorts of different areas you know it happens to people's work environment uh, email uh, you know Facebook yeah, or, true, or, true. I mean, you know I've had my uh, email hacked and I've had my Facebook hacked and all rest of it and it's yeah it, it's Pretty difficult and I think no matter how many things you put in place uh, there will always be the chance of getting something through. So um, mm. you've got to be yeah. two steps ahead of the people that are trying to do this, Something really?
1: Uh, well, Lane Street is sort of saying perhaps that they were basically doing it the bald hackers with nothing better to do, just do it for their own amusement is probably a, a, a very good point. Um, again, Graham is uh, sort of saying, Graham Haley is saying, I can't see why you would just do DDoS attacks on them, though, which I guess kind of makes sense. But then, you know, if you're trying to... I don't know, prevent somebody from going to a specific website. but then, of course, that won't work. Uh, that won't work, I don't think, if you're trying to do it from the app, for example, because uh, mm. you presumably they're not relying on DNS lookups to to sort of get app data backwards and forwards. I don't know. So it's very strange, very strange. Anyway, there we are. Not really a lot to that story, but uh, it, it, it caught our eye because it was just such an odd... You know, just an odd sort of thing to, to sort of, an odd service to attack specifically. But I was then... just reading
0: what uh, Sturman had put in the chat room, Matt. Uh... Oh, right, OK. Is it... You'll probably know what that means.
1: Right. Is it, is it friendly? <laughs> oh, yes, it's friendly, yeah. Uh, where are we? Oh, right. Oh, oh right. Yes, OK, here we go. So crypto assets uh, have been hacked recently. The dollar is at a weak point uh, with the elections in October, November. Election years is notorious. Year for hacking Maybe just a coincidence. Good point. Good point. Mm. Yes, I keep forgetting about this sort of this sort of cyber currency that uh, that uh, is sort of out there. But uh, yeah, as you say, probably just bald hackers, as Lane says, isn't it? With nothing yes. better to do, thinking you know the aviation industry isn't suffering enough already. Let let's uh, you know let's do some more damage
0: <laughs> before we get hacked. We better move on. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> we have the next story, which is on Flight Global, the uh, favourite site of Mr. Bounds. Uh,
1: he does love the font, don't you, Nev? Yep.
0: <laughs> and uh, the headline, uh, for those of you who've been the show, you may be we- talked about the a220 quite a bit on this show it's one uh, one of our favorite narrow-bodied single aisle aircraft but the a220-100 is to evolve as the 220 corporate jet so airbus uh, corporate jet division has formally unveiled an executive version of its a220-100 twin jet which will be able to operate across a range of up to 5,650 nautical miles Uh, The aircraft, which will be branded the ACJ220, Uh, and a deviation from prior corporate jet designations will be able to operate sectors such as London to Los Angeles and Tokyo to Dubai. Uh, Airbus performance documentation for the standard A220-100 indicates that the variant typically has a range of 2,760 nautical miles with 120 passengers, and that range tops out at some 4,250 nautical miles with minimum payloads and maximum fuel. Its fuel capacity is 21,805 litres, which is about 17.2 tonnes. But Airbus Corporate Jets President Benoît Devroge says the ACJ-220 will have five additional tanks Enabling it to carry another 5.6 tonnes of fuel. The jet will take advantage of planned increases in maximum takeoff weights for the A220 to 63 tonnes, which has been uh, scheduled for the second half of 2021. DeForge adds that the aircraft will be also certified for the 180 minutes. ETOPS, or extended twin operations, allowing more direct routes. Airbus says that with the ACJ220, it will create a whole new market segment, which it has termed the extra-large bizjet. Uh, positioning it as an alternative to traditional large cabin executive aircraft. This offer includes a first-time flexible cabin catalogue addressing the requirements of heavy and long-range business jet categories, it adds. And executive jets claiming a similar range include the Gulfstream G500 and the Dassault Falcon 6X. Airbus has selected VIP aircraft specialist Comlux, which has a completion centre in Indianapolis as its exclusive Outfitter for the fifteen first fifteen cabins of the two twenty program. It looks nice, guys. I will say mm. the pictures yes. on the website. Um, Great interior
3: as well.
0: To have yeah. a jet of this size, I mean, the A two twenty's been a really did you popular see jet. This
3: at,
1: did you guys see this at Farnborough? Yeah, uh, it yeah, was there, I'll wasn't it?
3: Yes, Al and I went on, to the, uh, uh, on the flight deck and uh, interviewed one of the PR uh, folks from Airbus. But uh, the uh, this AT-20's got a really useful range, is not it, as well? Mm, so mm, that's easily mm. London to, to New York and, and a bit more. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, very wouldn't, it, wouldn't it make wonderful a great beast though, so wonderful wouldn't it? Yep, absolutely. It yeah. would make a really good beast. It'd biz make jet. a
0: great jet, wouldn't it? Cause I mean, just the, room. the pictures on this story, honestly, the room, I mean, it, is, it does look awesome travel installed yeah. Uh,
5: yeah you should you should have one guys with a pt UK kind <laughs> of branding on the side <laughs> right okay. that would be so awesome right yeah okay. <laughs> actually uh, sadly sadly air baltic is uh pushing back its uh acquisition of new 220s so uh yeah uh we have a few in disguise but they will have to wait to see more commercially mm-hmm. sadly
1: yeah yeah, it's very sad, as you say. It's not uh, not really the news we wanted. it. But then it's I I the story of 2020 and the aviation industry full stop, yes, isn't it, I guess? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Sorry, yes. is there a pandemic going
0: on? I'd forgotten, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, You've talked out, up, man. <laughs> Oh,
1: sorry, yeah. <laughs> so
0: moving on to the next story for you, Paul, and obviously we can't do a show without talking about uh, COVID-19. Well, drinks
1: at the ready, everyone.
5: <laughs> yes yes so it's, uh, it's an article from the FT but I actually know the guys I mean no not all of them but I know the guys behind the project it's called uh, the common project commons project I think uh, one of the guys the chief marketing officer is uh, Thomas Crampton used to be at the New York Times, Ogilvy, and I was the chief marketing officer for these guys. And they are like a governance type of thing. And they work along with the WEF, the World Economic Forum, which is not happening actually in Davos next year out of the same thing, COVID. And uh, this news was, uh, I think it was from yesterday or this morning. I can recall when they are trying something that many others are trying. I'll give you a little bit of insight afterwards, which is to, tr- to create a digital pass to allow you to basically travel internationally because we know that's the sector that has been the hit the most uh, and to grant you access to countries by proving that you've had actually a vaccine. Uh, I know that is not pleasing everyone, but to the sources, this I'm not reading the FT, but to the, the, the airlines and the other groups, and working governments around the globe, especially in Asia, actually, uh, once there is a vaccine, you will have to probably prove that you had the vaccine to enter the country. And this would be a way to do that. It would be something on your phone, I guess, an app or at least a protocol uh, to prove that you've had had this vaccine and to kind of let you in, uh, probably to book, to enter the aircraft, to enter the country. It's called Common Pass. These guys will not actually do any testing or anything. They really provide a, a, a protocol that's written in the, the Financial Times article. It's uh, really it's a standard for this kind of certification uh, to have. T- but I believe it will also be allowing to have the test result certification for, for in the meantime before a vaccine arrives. Um, and what can I say that is interesting? Yeah, the United and Cathay Pacific are set to begin testing this digital health pass on r- routes linking travel hubs including London, New York, Hong Kong, Singapore on Thursday. There's not a lot of flights between those guys. I've actually uh, I have friends that flew in these uh, routes there and send me pictures. It's totally empty, but I think it's a good way actually to test because when you don't have a lot of people, you can test easily. Yeah, <laughs> but but it is it is true it is true that it is key to restart especially long haul travel because uh, again what I said earlier at the start at the top of the show what I'm hearing is that most of Asian countries will not open. Be- at least before spring two thousand and twenty one Australia is due to open not before december two thousand twenty one so having this type of thing, especially for business travels that are start, sorry for tourists, but will actually uh, of course make it much easier and make it more seamless to being able to enter these countries so it 's one of the these articles that you mentioned them uh, There are other initiatives like them as well to try basically to have an international standard to show that you have actually had the test and or have the vaccine. As you know, maybe some of you guys have done it. If you travel simply in Europe, for instance, Italy this morning just decided that to enter Italy from the UK, you need a COVID test 72 hours before boarding. Well, now it's a bit of like an ad hoc system. It would be much easier to have uh, a single system with a, a st- an international standard that all authorities agree. So that's uh, DID. And of course, all the airlines kind of want that. Not that they are pro-vaccine, whatever. This is not a debate. They want to have a, a seamless way to allow people to book and to, to fly to travel, again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I there love you it. go. I paraphrase the article, and I'm sorry it's behind a paywall for those who want to access it, but it's it's interesting. But Common Pass is the name. If you Google Common Pass, you'll find some information about that.
1: So great. It's. Uh, I, I mean. I mean. This. This. I mean. I, I mean. We've. We've touched on this uh, the, in sort of in, in previous episodes, isn't it? I mean, d- do we feel this is this is the solution, perhaps, in these strange times? To I, I guess this is all about trying to give people confidence to fly, perhaps. Is 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 it more to do with that?
5: I I, I will say, I will add something. You're right about that. Uh, I will add something is that what has, with COVID, what this crisis has clearly surfaced is that currently countries are prioritizing their own citizens and residents Mm -hmm. over travelers. So they will open a few bubbles here and there, especially in Asia. Now we, Europe is a bubble, by the way, the only one in the world, actually. Uh, but if you, uh, in order to actually make that happen quicker, having a standard will will actually help. It's not really the airline, obviously. It's the countries that say, yeah. we don't want to import any, any more cases that we have. You know, China, you go through 14 hours of clearance. And countries like Taiwan, you still go through like a full two-week quarantine, same in South Korea, et cetera, et cetera. So to kind of not have this quarantine if you could prove that you're okay with a system that is standardized and certified Mm -hmm. which actually would entice people for traveling and especially business travelers again it's nothing against tourism but business travelers are the fuel and the blood of the airlines revenue and they're not flying currently
1: no indeed i mean nev i mean uh, uh, this is something presumably you're you're sort of very keen to sort of see something uh, well, come through for this yes
3: i mean for example um from sweden to the uk and back at the moment uh, that corridor was opened up uh, a few weeks ago so i took the opportunity to uh, do some business over in sweden whilst i could just in case they shut it down again but i had to fill in a return to the uk form uh, 48 hours before i came back um to say that uh, where i'd been and where i was going to be when i came back here um but I was just thinking about that—you know—the the COVID test thing. It's a bit like an MOT, isn't it? It's—it's it's only valid <laughs> on, on the day of the test. True. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to introduce—you know—difficulty and political stuff here. But I, I'm sure that they you know—that they've got to find a, a universal way somehow of getting these things consistent. So, uh, yeah, that, that until they do, um, across the world, it, it's going to be a real problem. I
5: mean, you make a great, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Matt, you make a great point right there because even between countries in Europe, we should be closer in terms of regulation. It's not the EU, it's just that we're... You know, we're neighbors. Yeah. Even that you have one system for Greece with a QR code, a different system f- from Italy, a different system in the UK with a locator form they are supposed to. So all this is very confusing. You need to learn what should I do when I do, et cetera. So having a sen- standardized thing that tells you, no matter that what it is, is it a test, is it a locator form, that you mm-hmm. can go anywhere with it is really the, the, a godsend for the airlines. Because they, right now you have to deal with all this and you had people – refuse at borders etc not in europe of course but this is why it would make the, our lives much easier we can like like nev kind hinted that we can discuss long about what is the right way to do it but at least having a standardized way that everybody mm. can agree on it would would be much more helpful
3: well and, and my, like my, my thing, thing i was just gonna say a bit like the same way your your passport uh, no matter yeah. where you are in the world is yeah. a step document, more or less. And
1: we, and we need the airports, essentially, to sort of, like, maybe lia- all airports need to almost liaise like with the, the World Health Organisation or something like that, and they all need to agree that this is the standard for in order to allow people to travel. So as long as you tick these boxes, you can then, you know, but no quarantine. actually, this, uh, this,
5: already, this, is, this already exists, in a way, because the WHO, I know that's a bad name right now, but the other day, just an international body, had this uh, uh, yellow kind of passport you would have it was a health passport and you still have it in some countries when you need to get yellow fever vaccines etc you need to prove that you have these kind of vaccines. so basically it's the same thing that we used to use a lot more back in the day that we don't do especially in our top of countries that will just get standardized but it would be much easier if instead of having something in a piece of paper that you have and you can lose or you can be forged mm, that you yeah. would have something much easier to use that that's about it basically it yeah. could even be integrated by the way at some point into the boarding pass like yeah. one of the checks right yeah yes. absolutely. absolutely yeah,
1: yeah. A great idea great idea mm. well i mean it's definitely moving in the right direction isn't it at least paul this this whole common pass yes. thing that you mentioned so uh, yeah we, we'll move on to the next story if we may nev that is with you
3: Yes, well, we've—I don't know how many years we've been talking about the, the third runway at Heathrow. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Is there, is there something going on at Heathrow? Sorry, the answer <laughs> is 20 years. If you wanted to know. <laughs> <Of course. clears throat> yeah. um, well. Um, In uh, various articles it says that uh, in February campaigners claimed a historic victory in the Court of Appeal which quashed plans for a third runway at Heathrow on climate grounds. The case was brought by litigation charity Plan B and campaign group Friends of the Earth. Three appeal judges ruled that the government approval of the expansion plan was unlawful because, among other reasons, it failed to consider the Paris Agreement on climate change. To pursue the project, the Transport Secretary would have to review how it could fit with the country's climate commitments. In a two-day virtual sitting of the Supreme Court this week, Heathrow argued the government was not legally required to consider the Paris Agreement. At the same time, the airport owners claimed the third runway was compatible with the Paris Agreement, so a government review would ultimately conclude it could go ahead. Well, MPs voted 415 to 119 for a third runway at Heathrow in June 2018. Uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the, then Foreign T- Secretary, was in Afghanistan at the time. Uh, but Heathrow has now admitted that even In a best-case scenario, the third runway will not open until 2030, having previously been scheduled to open in 2026. First proposals with this iteration of Heathrow expansion started in late 2006. Uh, The hearing has now concluded, and a ruling from the Supreme Court is expected in January 2021. Uh, Well, my opinion is we do need it, and they should get it built. Um, and what a I great agree, time. it's a timeline. <laughs> let's do it right now because, um, you know, uh, th- what's going to happen is let's fast forward, I don't know, let's say three, four, five years. We're going to be back to the levels of traffic that we were mm-hmm. at previously, where Heathrow's capacity was at 99%. Um, so I think so, just start it now but then well and also I'm, I'm not considering any of the climate um, issues with that statement by the way <laughs> no no indeed yeah we'll gloss over we'll
1: pretend that's not a thing uh there's uh, i mean also though many could argue that given how traffic at heathrow is obviously at its lowest point for many many years i mean to, to start a project like this now would actually probably cause the least amount of impact on general operations at the airport i mean it's a shame that they can't sort of get starting almost get started almost immediately, as you
0: say. Captain Cruise. Actually, I was just going say Captain go Cruise says that Heathrow started out with seven runways. Did yeah. oh yeah, like in a uh, hexagon
5: or something. Mm. Yeah, like an yeah. hexagon, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know about I mean even before COVID, when this and, and before this decision from from the court right there, the I mean. The most optimistic scenarios where the runway would be ready around 2026, 2027. But actually, if you were to talk to people at Ether would say we had 2040 and 2045, 2050 was more likely. <laughs> if you look even actually at the plans, that's more interesting. You have the plans of expansions, you know, terminal T5X, T6 all the new terminals that would actually complement this new runway. They they planned some of them for 2070. So it was already before this crisis, not a big deal. I agree with you about the the ease to build it right now. However, the big problem we have right now is financing. I mean, we're, we're about to enter True. like an economical crisis. Uh, IAG and all those guys that would have to have to chip in into, the, into building the runway will most, most likely actually ask for have reduction of uh, lending fees at Heathrow. So there will be a little bit of an issue to finance this right now. And also the public, uh, it's not about climate change or that it imports, but the public saying, okay, there's problems everywhere in the economy it might not see with the best eye uh, such a project. I don't know. I'm just here yeah. making maybe a science fiction comment, but there might be a little resistance more than we think sadly i wish the third one was built as well
1: i mean again also though as you as you make a good point there about the financing side of things because i mean people like iag for example they're too busy trying to save their airlines at the moment aren't they i mean this is the this is the big thing you know is now you know, are the are these companies going to have the kind of capital available to be able to sort of you know chip into to, to said projects i don't know what you think nev
3: well it's it's the it's the survival isn't it of all the airlines at the moment we, we've heard all sorts of things uh on the radio and television in, in the last few weeks about about how uh, difficult it's all been for the airlines and how long it will take for them to get back to the the sort of flying schedule that they were used to um so yeah. uh, I, and of course Ayata,
5: uh, sorry, to finish sure. pardon me
3: that's OK. I was just going to say that um, a, a lot of people are going, well, yeah, the, the Skype and the Zoom thing's working really well. But, and, and it might be for some people, but business travel, uh, people travelling in the business and first class sections of uh, aeroplanes are the people that uh, will um, allow the, the larger airlines to survive. Mm-hmm. And in terms of going on holiday, um, we do need the EasyJets and the Ryanairs and the yes, Whiz um, as well, because people are pretty fed up with it all um, at the moment and they, they want to be able to get away next year.
5: No, I, I fully agree. There's a stat, I just wanted to mention, The stat by IATA, on average, and that's an average, I mean, some are worse and some are better, but on average airlines currently have 8.5 months of capital and as we're seeing, some of the bailouts that are not coming. There was not, never a bailout in the UK but the US bailout might not come a, a second time, so there will be casualties uh, mm. in, in, in this, sadly. And hence, financing another runway is... It would be cool, however, if we still had, you know, like we had today, uh, sorry, yesterday, the, we were supposed to have like a double departure of, of 747. Yes. It would be cool to have three of them de- departing. Wow. Yes. And by the way, something that uh, my my co-host on Layovers, we haven't done an episode forever, but my co-host on Layover pointed out to me the other day, Alex, Alex Hunter, he said... It doesn't think, and he's right because I've checked. There's not going to be any 747 passenger traffic at Heathrow anymore, uh, unless, and that's my take, unless um, Korean Air, hope they survive, relaunches their 748s to London. Otherwise, it's impossible to fly a 747 from Heathrow, third runway or not. Sadly.
1: <laughs> true. True. That's very true. Right. We better move on to the next story before. Yes. Uh, before we, yes,
5: as I say, we're sort of having
1: to watch our timings this evening because there's a certain APG that starts as soon as we finish, basically. Uh, so the next story is uh, with me and I'll be interested to hear Paul's take on this when when I've read this, which I suspect is why this story has been chosen. So this is on, a, this is on AIN online website and the headline is US finds Emirates for overflying Tehran. Uh, F-I-R. So the U.S. Department of Transportation has fined Emirates Airlines $400,000 for flying through Iranian airspace over a period of more than two weeks in July 2019 in violation of an FAA order, uh, the department said I- uh, in a consent order issued on Thursday, the DOT. The DOT holds uh, jurisdiction over the matter because Emirates operates under a co-chair agreement with the New York-based JetBlue Airways. So the FAA issued a NOTAM in June of 2019 prohibiting uh, flights, uh, flight operations in the overwater area of the Tehran um, Flight Information Region, FIR, uh, because of heightened military activity and political tensions in the region. An investigation by the DOT's uh, Office of Aviation Consumer Protection uh, found that Emirates violated the order between the 1st of July and the 19th of July 2019 while operating under JetBlue's B6 code. In response, Emirates said it takes its regulatory compliance responsibilities extremely seriously and that it suspended for a limited time period all flights in the ter- Iran FAR um, area accept direct flights to Iranian capitals immediately after the FAA issued the NOTAM however the airline said when it resumed services over the region it inadvertently failed to remove the B6 code from the service uh, once it uh, recognized the oversight it removed the code it added although emirates said it does not believe the violation merited enforcement action it agreed to a settlement that allowed it to pay half of the fine within 120 days and then waive the rest after a year if the airline does not run a foul of the order during that time, so I mean, I suppose this, this is the the grey. <laughs> Paul's laughing. Uh, I suppose this is the grey area, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, I mean, e- e- Emirates directly obviously are presumably overseen by a different agency, but because the FAA and uh, you know they were flying a JetBlue um, code chair agreement, essentially, yeah, obviously yeah. they 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 fitted into the FAA rules and regulations. I mean, I'm just intrigued to know what your thoughts are, Paul.
5: Look, the rules are the rules. I guess the FAA, the DOT had to follow them, and since it was a B-6 jet-proof flight as well, well, they're not supposed to fly over everyone. Uh, is that an overreach? You know, they want to get political. It's a bit, uh, well, they did a settlement because at the end of the day, the it's, a lot of airlines get into these kind of troubles with American oversight is because is either you settle or you agree to a fine or you find kind of, you negotiate something yeah. or you lose access to the American market. So yeah. they cannot afford that. So a lot of what Emirates said here was PR, of course. Is, oh, we're sorry, whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, I flew many times over Iran wrong with various airlines. Uh, they didn't have a coach here with the US. Uh, uh, is that particularly dangerous? The rest is political. Do we think that we're going to get shut down? Probably not. But yeah, it's, look, the rules are the rules. Yeah. The Americans are making these rules in this in this particular case. Well,
1: yeah. it is what it is, essentially.
5: <laughs> it it is. Yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could go for a rant about these rules and how and whatever, but it's not necessary. No, I think no, no. at the end of the day, it's a blip. You know, I I, yeah. I, I think it's also a signal uh, to. It's not a signal, but it's kind of a reminder to any other potential uh, code sharing agreements, especially yes, with Qatar Airways, that yeah. if they were to do that please be careful, we do not allow this to happen. So well, of course,
1: I mean, and again, you know, because obviously, I mean, you know, Emirates have direct flights, don't they, that go into, you know, Iranian capital, as they yeah. say. Uh, you know, obviously, that the rules are different for them essentially because they, you know, they are, there's no embargo as far as they're concerned for going into and out of those countries. So I, I suppose, you know, you have maybe a slightly unfamiliar p- pilot perhaps with the FAA rules, you know, so it's probably a genuine oversight, isn't it? It's, but you, I suppose you're right. They've, they've, they've got to make an almost an example of Emirates, if you like. You see it the uh, of, comment,
0: I comment from Captain no, Cruz, Matt, in the chat room. Uh, says if you turn sharp right after takeoff from Dubai runway three zero, you are almost in that Iranian
5: overworld. Oh, why are you? Oh, exactly, right. exactly. Right. And if you, this is why I was mentioning Qatar Airways because if you look at where Qatar is and the fact that they still have the blockade, they cannot go over Saudi Arabia. Basically, they have to fly over Iran. There's no just, there's no choice. You're basically there, including Emirates or 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 what's the Abu, Abu Dhabi Etihad uh, Airways. So. I mean, you know what? It's not a pilot. I think it's probably oversight from the airline to not have removed the B six, the co chair thing. Mm-hmm. Because if they had removed, nobody would have even you know raised an eyebrow. Because it happens every day. I literally yeah. I fly to the Middle East uh, or to to Asia and or here all the time, and we fly over Iran all the time. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Uh,
1: so uh, the, the the NOTAM that they're talking about, by the way, for anybody who's interested, was issued as a result of a US drone being shot down by Iranian armed forces in June 2019. The location of the drone was dis, uh, disputed uh, with the US saying that it was shot down in international airspace and Iran saying it basically violated Iranian airspace. Uh, and if anyone's interested, if you want to hear more about that particular strike, you can listen to Armando and Grant, uh, Grant McCarran talking about it on episode 274 definitely worth a listen uh, just to remind yourself but uh, yeah it was um yeah that was basically what it's uh, what it's all about and i didn't realize that a notam is basically a statement is literally notice to airmen. I li- i didn't know that yes there yes, we are yes. yeah every day's a school day isn't it uh okay uh who's next then so uh, paul you've got the next story
5: yeah, it's an interesting one. There's a flurry of stories. I'm, again, going to par- paraphrase them. They're yep. all interesting. It's all about the vaccine delivery. And um, so everybody talks about a vaccine, we just did actually, and it's uh, interesting that the fact it might happen bef- like early 2021, we can discuss if it's a good enough vaccine, et cetera, that's off the the topic of, the, of, of this show. <laughs> However, when you do a vaccine, uh, people think, oh, let's say, let's pretend we have a vaccine in March 2021. Oh, everything is good in March 2021. No, because then you need to Created to actually build it, you need billion of doses, and then you need to distribute them. And of course, yeah. one of the ways to distribute them will be through airlines, through car- cargo uh, freighters around the world, wherever the vaccine is actually created. It could be here in the UK, wherever a good shot. It could be in Asia. It could be in the US. And so these flurry of articles. The first one is from Sorry, I'm looking for those on 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 YouTube. I'm looking at my screen. Is from uh, Korea Bizwire uh, com. So of course, a uh, Korea Korean airline announced that it uh, is is securing. A cool cargo centers at Incheon, their main airport at uh, next to Seoul, to deliver to being able to to, to safe ship this type of coronavirus viruses vaccine, because of course they need to be in environments that are uh, in a specific temperature and specific humidity to be delivered and still be valid when they reach whenever, wherever they need to, to be reached. So they they do that. They, they They're taking their um, their experience out of delivering food and other such uh, environmentally um, uh, specific type of deliveries. Uh, there's also like other airlines I have here, like uh, United Cargo, uh, is also uh, attempting to deliver these through uh, containers that have uh, that use temperature control as well. So they are buying this type of cargo because everybody knows that that is going to happen, is going to be needed. There's a Russian airline called Airbridge Cargo that trialed to do this uh, as well. And and not only then, of course, the airlines, the airports have to be ready because once all these things arrive, they need to clear uh, customs as well. And they need to be safe stored whilst they do that. And also whilst all the the last mile delivery, if you want, has to arrive. So airports like uh, I'm reading here, uh, Schiphol Airport, and that's on simpleflying.com. Simpleflying.com is a cool website for all news air travel, uh, are also preparing this type of uh, hangar with uh, controlled temperature and humidity to being able to store these type of vaccines. Frankfurt Airport is also doing that for a rollout. uh, And and IATA obviously is... um, uh, preparing the ground because they know that it will be probably one of the most you know, whoever, whichever country gets, it's more it's like a lab, another country, but gets first delivering a vaccine. We know first that the UK has bought shares and so basically pre bought doses out of at least a dozen different labs around the world that are attempting to create a vaccine. And, and other countries have done the same, less or more, et cetera. Once this gets started, this will be one of the biggest delivery, cargo delivery ever to happen in our history. So all the airports and the airline are basically preparing for it. it it's actually really, really fast. Uh, fascinating the the ones that I will finish with is that Ayata says that the COVID-19 vaccine will require about 10 billion doses of vaccination worldwide and obviously air uh, air transport so cargo air cargo will be key to make that happen
1: so so although we're not th- yeah th- although we're not there yet essentially this this is about preparing the groundwork if you like so that um, yeah the, the the delivery systems if you like to getting it to these various countries is, is in place that's essentially what they're doing here
5: yeah so imagine for instance that we are let's say the lab that creates that is based in switzerland or korea in that instance that we were just discussing and we here in the uk have to pre-bought. I don't know who we pre-bought from. But let's pretend we pre-bought from a company in Switzerland because they have a lot of pharma there and they need to be delivered to the UK. And when they are delivered not only you need the transport but then you need to storage. So airports are preparing the storage because vaccines are very very uh, sensitive to temperature and humidity. Uh, you don't want them to arrive and having millions of doses getting like, you know, not being usable because we messed up with the temperature. So right, not yeah. only do you have to make sure that the containers in the aircraft are, are made correctly, but also the containers on the ground. So it will be really fascinating. And they're right to prepare it because we've never done a vaccine. I mean, we haven't done yet, but we've never looked for a vaccine as fast as this. And whether it happens in January, March, maybe whether it happens even next December, whatever, we need to be prepared to be able to, to, you know, basically to vaccine at least, you know, the frontline workers, the, the elderly, the people at risk first, because as, as soon as we start that, the effects of the pandemic, Directly diminish. Yeah. So we want to be fast.
1: So, and and that's it, I suppose, isn't it? As you say, we've never, you know, presumably, you know, once. Let, let, let's be optimistic. So, as, as soon as a vaccine has been, been found, I don't think, uh, you know, the, the logistics involved in this, you know, I mean, I don't think an operation of this size uh, never's ever been done, has it before? Where you've no, got, you know, not, like on mass. On no,
3: absolutely not. Um, and, of course, it has to be borne in mind. I was reading a, sti- a statistic yesterday that um, Britain finished paying for World War II oh. in 2006. <laughs> right. Wow. Can okay. imagine wow. how long it's going to take <laughs> us to pay off the current debt? Right. Let alone, yeah. Okay. Around the world. So, you know, travel, hospitality, business. Everything has been absolutely devastated by this wretched disease. And so uh, the quicker we can sort it out, the better it's going to be. Although, as we all know, it's going to be a a long recovery, isn't
1: it? It's all right, though, because Carlos is going to win the lottery
0: this week. Oh,
1: good. (laughs) I am. I am. (laughs)
0: It's it's not very often I buy buy a ticket, but I will go and buy one tomorrow night. (laughs) Indeed, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Uh, The last story is with you, my friend.
0: Yeah, we're talking about money, winning now, the lottery. You, you, I can
1: say you, now you found this story because it really tickled do This didn't it? it Good it really segue. Did...
0: <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm a great lover of Dubai. I've I've been to Dubai a number of times and love the country. But there are some things that I know you should never do in <laughs> Dubai. And this story comes have to fun, us from, for example, uh... no, you, you can have lots of fun in Dubai. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love it. I love the country. Um, this is from ITV.com, and uh, the headline, a Leeds woman, as in the, the, uh, the city of Leeds, I think it's the city of Leeds in the UK here, uh, city of Leeds, woman found with almost £2 million uh, pounds in a suitcase of, in cash. What? So a, a woman <laughs> from Leeds has been charged with money laundering after almost £2 million in cash was seized by border forces ...at Heathrow Airport. Uh, Tara Hanlon, 30. I don't know why that makes any difference. But she was stopped at the airport's Terminal 2... ...around 8pm on Saturday the 3rd of October... ...before attempting to board a flight to Dubai. Officers searched five suitcases and found cash totalling £1.9 million in sterling notes. The largest such uh, detection of border force so far in 2020. She was arrested along with a 28-year-old woman from the Doncaster area... ...and the investigation was referred to the National Crime Agency... Uh, They said uh, apparently the uh, Minister for Immigration Compliance and Court said this is the largest individual cash seizure at the border so far for 2020. And I'm delighted with the efforts of the Border Force officers preventing the export of undeclared cash from the UK is a vital step in clamping down on organised criminal gangs. Uh, The woman of... uh, pelham court at leeds was later charged with money laundering and appeared at uxbridge magistrate courts on the 5th of october where she was remanded in custody until her next appearance at Ilsworth court in, on the 5th of november and the other woman has been arrested as well and she's also been released under investigation you,
1: you, you know why that why the age is important in here you, do, do you know why? I think it's it's like because oh she's in her thirties, oh that's very naughty of her. If they said it was an eighty-five-year-old lady who would just been done mm. for, for you know, been we'd be like, very... oh, leave her alone, leave yeah. her alone. You know, she's, you know, well, she's got mean, a pension to depend for. You yeah,
3: know. It's, it's worth remembering that uh, you know Dubai customs have got previous form here because uh, they interfered <laughs> <laughs> with my muff. They did. They did uh, interfere with when them, I just... tried to bring that through. That took an awful lot of explaining. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. Um, it's so <laughs> I will, I will, I will, I, will, I
5: will. However. Uh, I want because it's serious, because I've had a lot of friends asking me this. You have a lot of countries, which, when you enter, you have a form, a custom form to say, and they say, if you have more than, let's say, £10,000, you need to declare them, and so, not that my friends would actually take $2 million no. and are, are rich, but <laughs> most people assume that it means that you cannot bring more than 10,000. It's actually not true. You can bring in many countries as much as you want. The only reason they ask you is that they just want to be accountable for the money that gets in for the monetary purposes. So mm-hmm. it. When they tell tell you to sign a paper, that says if you have more than ten thousand, you can say yes and have like a million with you. Unless it's, it, it seems to be in that case that money was never registered anyway, so that's also why they call it that's laundering money. If you actually have a million <laughs> on your bank account, take it in cash, put it in a suitcase, have a proof where it comes from. You can land in many countries and just say yeah, I have a million, and that's it. And it's actually entirely possible. I, I remember um, during the, the the Cyprus crisis that happened when was it it was 2016 2018 there was like you know the crash of the economy there were actually quite a few rich families caught at larnaca airport trying to flee the country with large suitcases of euros in that same kind of amount they were pretty much all arrested
6: <laughs>
0: wow okay I, I, i'll tell you what i have to say right on that note of what never was saying I've I've never been really worried or worried at all in airports. I love airports. I love flying. I love going to airports. It's a you know, it's a really good part of travelling. But honestly, that day when we flew into Dubai and Nev was escorted behind uh, a cover, <laughs> and I I, I I carried on walking and I just looked behind and thought, oh. Bugger, where's Nev? Yeah, is, it, is this one of these Nev? <laughs> where,
1: is this one of these Nev where I need to break out the teddy bear and say where did he touch you? Is it is it, is it, well, is it one of those?
3: I, I was worried that it was going to be a <laughs> transparent glove. <synaptic>. The thing <laughs> it is, ne, Nev was not gone
0: for like two or three minutes. Nev was gone for at least twenty minutes. Oh my.
5: <laughs> <laughs> So it's right. to, be, to, be, to, to be frank, I'd be more worried about Nev being in such a situation in the US rather than in Dubai, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I do not trust TSA <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right, okay. And on that bombshell, before any of us get sued, we'll move on to the next part <laughs> of the show. And now um uh, the, uh part 2 uh is now coming up uh, where myself and Captain Al had a chat with Dan Holly about his rather unusual hobby of storm chasing. When we left our conversation uh last uh, not last week but the week before we were discussing the extreme hail and Al was very curious about the car rental transaction.
2: I'm intrigued. Your, your car rental transaction must be quite weird. You must go to the desk and go, I need a van to get all of my kit in. It's got to have off-road tyres in case I get stuck on a dirt track and it gets a bit boggy. And it needs to do 0 to 60 in less than five seconds so I can get out of Dodge.
4: You want an 18 van. That's essentially what you want, isn't it? And what you don't want is a sunroof. Uh, because if you've got big hail that you know that that could smash that up and then, then you've got all this water coming in your car so that's the one of the big things that we make sure we don't get as a sunroof.
1: wow now actually you've mentioned uh the word uh, hail there and uh, you've sent me a couple of pictures actually uh to do with uh with that now i'm just going to pop a, a picture up for you you now now so the, uh, this is uh, so the the size of this is is mm. ridiculous i mean where was this taken
4: So that was taken in, uh, just outside a town called McLean in Texas. Um, That was in 2016, I think. Uh, And and you have to bear in mind that hailstone had been on the ground for about 10 minutes. The air temperature was something like 25 degrees. So it had melted considerably from its original size when it first fell to the ground. Um, So you can imagine it's that large already, having melted for 10 minutes. Um, So you can imagine how big they are when they are actually coming out of this storm. And I think this one here was taken in 2017 in nebraska from memory so that's you know that's a pretty sizable piece of ice there Uh, and that will cause damage obviously to to vehicles and and, you know property sometimes as well if you've got very strong winds coming out of these storms the hail can actually be horizontal you know and it can it can smash out uh, windows facing the wind sometimes as well so it can be pretty damaging even if you don't have the tornado aspect
2: so, so Hail is something in, in aircraft that we are very, very aware of because if you can imagine hitting that stuff at sort of 400 miles an hour, oh my goodness. Um, it's not good really. Um, and uh, it can cause an awful lot of damage to an aeroplane very quickly. And it doesn't have to be that big um so so we'll give the size of that hail a, probably a nine out of ten on the danger stage <laughs> okay. <for our>
1: <laughs> now we've got some more pictures actually that dan has sent us and uh, uh i think what we'll do is we will get al to mark these uh, you know to give it a, a rough <laughs> aviation theme so we'll we'll mark these out of 10 if you wouldn't mind uh al in regards to these pictures so the first one i'm going to bring up here uh, now i'm sure there's some proper technical terms here but uh, i mean th- these these are quite shocking photos for me who's never seen uh, anything like this where whereabouts was this picture taken
4: so that was the same storm as the uh, the first hail picture so that was mclean texas in 2016 um and i think that was actually my second tornado so um you know oh, wow. it, 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 it's, uh, it was a lot larger than the first one I'd seen. Uh, and that, that one was very exciting to see as well. All of them really are. They're all unique in, in their way. And, and you still get excited, even if you've seen 200 tornadoes, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, all, all very So cool. it's that
2: a prob 30 tempo, 1,500 <laughs> metres in heavy rain?
4: <laughs> I, I have no idea what the path would have been that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: slightly scary either way. but it, it's... Surprising gust. <laughs> the element of surprise is not, is not your friend, I think. When it comes to stuff like that, I mean, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, just 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 describe that picture to us for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this show. Um, just to sort of try and describe the, this picture, Dan, if you would.
4: Yeah. So the the tornado is obviously in the centre of the photo here. There's a lot of rain behind it and to the right hand side, uh, and within that there would have been some pretty big hail as well. And this tornado was moving essentially from left to right, so from southwest to northeast you can see the the sort of sky to the uh, southwest behind that tornado where the sun was starting to set that afternoon as well so um, i think this was on the ground for about 10-15 minutes from memory so you know it, it was there a long time long enough to stand there and take it all in uh, whereas obviously the first tornado i saw was a 10 second job and, and it was sort of blink and miss it type
2: thing so this this one certainly lasted a, a lot longer i mean so for the sort of semi-lay person sorry matt yeah. um are there any additional triggers that are required for a tornado other than for a thunderstorm, or is it just the intensity of the thunderstorm that creates the tornado?
4: Yeah, it's a bit of both um, so with with these storms, wind shear is a very very much a big component that you want. Um, thunderstorms in the uk very rarely do we get the wind shear, uh, and that is basically a change of wind speed or direction with height. So a typical setup in the U.S. plains would be a southeasterly wind at the surface. And then gradually, as you go up through the atmosphere, that swings around more to a southwest or even a westerly um, at sort of three miles above the ground, that sort of thing. So that's a, a sort of a twisting motion that induces on, on these things. Um, now, if you've got a thunderstorm in the U.K. with no wind shear, what tends to happen is the thunderstorm develops because the updraft is going up. It then starts raining and it rains through the updraft and basically cuts off. The updraft and so it collapses within an hour or so of having developed in the first place, whereas these storms in in America, when you've got wind shear, you can separate, you tilt the updraft, and that means the updraft is then separated from the downdraft, and so that means it can last hours basically, as long as it's never going to rain into the updraft, it will keep eating up, if you like, the the warm moist air that's present. Um, and, and, and therefore track a long distance. Now, for a tornado, you need very strong wind shear in the low levels uh, of the atmosphere. The thunderstorms themselves are rotating, albeit relatively slowly, but sometimes you can get some very strong wind shear at low levels and that gets stretched up into the updraft to create these tornadoes. Um, so I, I think the supercells, from memory, I think only about 20% of them actually produce the tornado. So if you've got five of these thunderstorms that are developed in a line, you've then got to pick the one that might then go on to produce a tornado. And of course, the tornado's not there all the time either. It might only be there for a minute or two and then go back up again. So it, it really is a case of sort of being in the right place at the right time to be able to see these.
1: So, I
2: mean, forgive it, my
1: naivety here uh, when it comes to this. I mean, you hear stories of, of how they, they, they sort of meet the ground. I mean, do they actually touch the ground? Is, is that a, a common occurrence?
2: Yeah,
4: so, so the, the basic idea is the funnel would start at the cloud base and then gradually extend down to the ground. Now, you can actually have ground contact without actually a visible funnel on the ground. So you might see perhaps the funnel halfway down. And then if you look closely at the ground, you could see dust sort of spinning Swirling, underneath yeah. it. So technically, that tornado is on the ground. And the general rule of thumb is if you can see uh, the, the sort of the cone of the tornado halfway down, then it's assumed that it is on the ground already. Um, It only appears visible on the ground if the condensation has developed, if the pressure drops enough around that tornado for the condensation then to take place and and it to become visible to the naked eye.
1: Wow. (laughs) It's such a a scary subject. Uh, So we've got a couple more photos that uh, we'll work our way through if I I may. Now, are are there different... um, names or titles if you like uh, to, to to these hurricanes and what's the difference between for example a hurricane and a tornado
4: okay. we get asked this question a lot actually um incidentally this photo while you've got it up that was uh, a couple of years ago in uh, colorado i think and that albeit be a very small weak tornado that crossed the field right next to us and we had parked up with about probably 10 other chase vehicles you know storm chasing is very popular a lot of people yeah. would go and do it Um, So we'd all parked up on this dirt road. And then as this tornado is coming across the field, everyone else starts (laughs) leaving. And I remember turning around and everyone had gone. Um, And this thing was coming towards us. I wasn't particularly worried because it was a fairly weak tornado anyway. Um, So, you know, it wasn't going to cause a huge amount of damage. But I've never been that close to it. It was only sort of, I don't know, 100 feet away across the field. And you could just see all this dust and stuff spinning around it. And it was just mesmerizing to watch it while we were being pelted by horizontal rain and hail coming in through the car window. So uh, that was quite, quite a unique uh, experience, that oh one there. But it, with regards to the difference between hurricane and tornado, tornadoes are very small. They're only, well, I guess one mile wide if they're pretty big. Uh, hurricanes are much much larger things they are over the tropics over the waters of the tropics uh, and and they are basically large areas of low pressure they're they're essentially big clusters of thunderstorms all rotating around a central point so a tornado is just one thunderstorm that's generating it primarily whereas hurricanes uh, are many 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 thunderstorms all that sort of rotating around a central point so they affect a much larger area you can get tornadoes in hurricanes um, they tend to be fairly brief, but of course they can cause additional damage on top of the existing strong wind field that is around hurricanes as well.
2: Um, we'll give um, hurricanes and tornadoes a score out of ten on the danger scale. <laughs> right, okay, good. Go on. <laughs> but um, one of the things I was going to say to Dan was, when I was at uh, Oshkosh, which is a large aviation meet-up uh, air show, uh, last year. I had the opportunity, albeit briefly, to talk to some of the NOAA guys mm-hmm. who fly the uh, Hercules into the hurricanes, yeah. and I wondered if that's something that uh, you know tickled your fancy, as it were. Would you fancy <laughs> doing that? Uh, probably
4: not. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think it's fascinating what they do. I'm just not sure it'd be my cup of tea necessarily.
2: Okay. Uh, well, they seem to have done it quite successfully because they're still around to talk about it. <laughs> right. but, I mean that 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 has to be. Uh, probably one of the ultimate difficulty in obtaining life assurance jobs that yeah. you're going to have <laughs> what do you do i fly into hurricanes okay <laughs> yeah. all right well uh, probably we can't cover you um, but no i mean it, it, it's fascinating the data that they're able to to pull out but um uh there's there's i mean Obviously, in the centre of the hurricane, it, it's dead calm. Yeah. But in the periphery of that, it must be sheer hell. I, can, I, I can't
1: even—I can't even get my head around it. It's a—it's a frightening thing. So we're talking about weather phenomenon, if we may, Dan. I mean, what's your most—I um, suppose what's the—the the one weather event that you would most love to be able to witness?
4: Um, for me, probably uh, a sprite. Um, which is essentially upward lightning, um, not many people yes Captain <laughs> Al
1: has seen one, ladies and gentlemen that 's why he 's become a five year old child uh, <laughs> it's um' it's, so I, I see this is the thing I had no idea that would that was a thing so a, an upward lightning bolt how how does that even work how does
4: that even work? It only happens as far as i 'm aware obviously i 've never seen it, but no. um As far as I'm aware, you only get them with really big, powerful thunderstorm complexes. So you wouldn't really get them over the UK very often. Um, I I do know people that have seen them in the UK uh, who live in Oxfordshire, and they've seen it from storms that were over the English Channel. So usually from ground anyway, uh, you'd need to be about 100 miles away from the actual thunderstorm itself. And you need to look very high up above the top of the thunderstorm to be able to see these things. And... And they they look a bit like sort of a red jellyfish, if you like, but they only appear very very briefly, you know, for a, a split second type thing. Um, so they're more often caught sort of on a long camera exposure, really, rather than uh, with the naked eye, unless you happen to be looking in the right place at the right time, which apparently owl has been.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was very difficult for me. It happened uh, quite a reasonable time ago, um, so you know, these days we have, you know, access to the internet and we can, you know, instantly look at pictures of things that we've seen and, and identify it. Um, and for me, it was, it, it was as Dan described, it, it was a bit like a red firework coming out of the, the top of a, of a thunderstorm. And, you know, it was kind of, what the flipping heck was that? And then by the time you'd actually, you know, had time to register what you'd seen, it was gone.
1: If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up,
6: visit a320lounge.com.
1: And there we go. What a fascinating chat it was. I, I had no idea uh, about what a sprite was, if I'm honest with you. I had literally no idea. And uh, da- we, were, we were chatting afterwards, actually. Dan is so jealous that Al has witnessed one of these, obviously while he was flying. Um, you know, it's a sprite. I mean, it's uh, it's. I'm more of a
0: Doctor Pepper man myself. But... Right.
1: Okay. Good. Lovely. there we are. The moment's gone. Uh, <laughs> never mind.
0: Uh... <laughs> okay. Out no,
6: need... the military, everyone.
0: <laughs> we need to say a big, big thanks to uh, to Dan and obviously Captain Al. Yeah. For, for that and uh, for putting yeah. that together One more part really left good.
6: to
1: come next week and then yeah, I, I'm I, delighted I, to say uh, the following week uh, the new series of The Plain Truths will oh, start so um, we
3: well, I could do with some, uh, hearing some more from Dan actually I think he's done a fantastic job so uh, if he wants to do some more of those that will be Lovely. great.
1: Well I'm sure if you can find some aviation slash weather related uh, mm. st- uh, stories or things I'm sure if I ask him very nicely he'll join us again so uh, yeah, smash him. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, anybody wants to follow him on uh twitter it is at uh i think oh i've forgotten i think it always oh, at dan holly h-o-l-l-e-y underscore at dan holly underscore there you are uh, and
0: actually uh matt played the the a320 lounge ad during oh, yes. the break there just uh, f- fyi um matt and andy have released a new episode oh, which is, is out this week and it's very interesting it's all about a, a chap who's uh, who's designed a, a kind of memory app to for memory checks for for obviously doing kind of memory check items in the, on the flight deck was so quite interesting. Cool.
1: Okay. Right. Uh, we need to move on, guys, because we're 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 yes. We're...
0: It's time <laughs> for the military. And uh, Armando has sent us some stories, and he's also sent them in a video as well. So if everyone's ready, indeed, Nev. I think you're good. first, aren't you? So here we go. <laughs>
3: First story is from uh, popularmechanics.com and it says that uh, Russia's Ministry of Defence has dropped a new video that includes some very unusual flying. In the video, a pilot is flying Russia's Long in the woods, Sukhoi Su-57 fighter jet, known to NATO as the Felon, without the usual p- plexiglass cockpit canopy that protects him from the elements. The flight is likely to, uh, to taking place to ensure that there are no unexpected issues flying the plane if the canopy were to suddenly uh, come off uh, the video celebrates uh, the vp uh, chakalov St- state flight test centers 100th anniversary the center tests new and upgraded russian aircraft as new as well as new weapon systems uh, the center is uh, headquarters uh, at, at uh, Akhturbis. Turbinsk uh, airfield in uh, Astrakhan. You're really uh, enjoying d- this
1: story, aren't you, Nev? No. Uh, <laughs> one, <so laughs> I, I'm going to have a word. <laughs> I really am. Brace yourself on one those <laughs> sternly-worded email
3: on its yes. way. Uh, <laughs> with um, departments at Moscow and Saratov regions uh, in Karbardino, balkaria uh, and Crimea. Uh, it also includes five pro- proving grounds scattered across Russia and beyond. I'm very glad that was a short story.
1: Right, <laughs> yes, indeed, as are we all. Oh, dearie me. Oh, there you go. Look, that's the only bit of the video that's actually relevant. There we go. <laughs> I,
0: I just, I just find, find it amazing that if this guy's going like, at flat out speed, that um, obviously when the canopy off, and obviously the wind obviously goes over. The front of the canopy and then over, so it's not really in the, on the sort of cockpit as such. But still, to have the uh, roof off whilst travelling in a fighter jet is quite a nice idea.
1: I it, it, it is. It's not the uh, it's not the uh, only idea that I've. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it it's not be a bit drafty though? I mean, <laughs> could be a bit
0: chilly at high <laughs> flight levels. I will say.
1: Well, it, well, quite. This is this is mm. this is my only ner- nerve wracking. I mean, and also part of me is thinking there must be a reason um, why it hasn't been done before. Mm, yes or or is that just me being cynical anyway we'll move on to story number two and i'm delighted to say that story number two is being shared with us by the legend that is armando so over to you armando
7: hey guys the u.s air force is blaming a recent f-35 joint strike fighter crash on a tired pilot too fast landing a misaligned helmet and a logic issue with the plane's computer system this crash took place in may at eglin air force base in florida resulting in the complete loss of a $175 million aircraft. So the pilot, determining that the plane was no longer responding to him at a critical time, chose to eject safely. Uh, The F-35 was landing after participating in a tactical intercept training mission. Two other F-35As, including the mishap aircraft, flew as the blue air guys, uh, basically the good guys element, intercepting two simulated enemy red air aircraft. Uh, The pilot involved in the crash was a former F-15E Strike Eagle pilot with a total of 1,459 hours behind uh, the stick. So according to the Aircraft Accident Investigation Report published by the Air Force uh, late last month, the crash was a result of several factors. Uh, First and foremost, the aircraft attempted to land at 202 knots calibrated airspeed, or the equivalent of about 232 miles per hour, That's much higher than the maximum 152 knots at which the aircraft should have attempted the landing. That's according to that report. The fighter was also landing at uh, about a 5.2 degree angle, uh, 10 degrees shallower than is recommended. As a result, the plane was approaching the runway faster and descending slower than usual. The mishap pilot, according to the report, said, experienced a significant pitch oscillation and bouncing during the landing attempt and tried for five seconds to gain control of the aircraft. The pilot quickly decided the plane was unresponsive to his controls and ejected. The report also notes that the pilot was fatigued after the training flight and that the aircraft was still flying on speed hold. That's a form of uh, autopilot designed to maintain a minimum speed in this case 202 knots calibrated airspeed. The speed hold should have been turned off before the pilot attempted to land to allow that aircraft to reduce uh, the speed to a safe landing level. And this report also says that the pilot had inadequate knowledge of the control laws, we've talked about that with the Airbus, that govern how the flight computer responds to pilot input to keep that aircraft in the air. Hardware and software issues compounded the pilot's woes. So the aircraft, according to Air Force Magazine, suffered a flight control logic glitch trying to resolve the pilot's attempts to gain control of the aircraft. The sensor input of the airplane uh, bouncing along the runway for five seconds. The flight computer sensing that the aircraft uh, was descending to a landing commanded the nose down. The pilot meanwhile realizing he would have to go around uh, the runway to make another attempt commanded a nose up. Uh, The result, the pilot got the distinct impression At the worst possible time that his commands were being ignored and that he should get out of the plane as soon as possible. The accident report also blames the F-35's $400,000 magic helmet for the crash. The F-35 pilot's helmet includes a built-in display that projects critical information across the pilot's field of view. That helmet was misaligned on the pilot's head during the landing leading the pilot to believe that he was being given incorrect information at a critical, confusing time. The pilot had to fly the plane, ignoring the distracting green glow of the display uh, and what he believed was incorrect data being flashed directly in front of his eyeballs. The green glow, uh, that's in quotes, has been cited in the past as a distraction for pilots, leading the defense contractor Lockheed Martin and the Pentagon to look for a fix. Following the pilot's ejection, the accident report says the F-35, quote, rolled, caught fire, and was completely destroyed, end quote. Uh, the report placed the value of the lost aircraft at $175 million plus, almost $176 million. So the reason it takes so long to get these reports is, is they, the Air Force and the accident investigation boards go through with a fine-tooth comb and uh, have all these primary and contributing factors at the end of the day this is all so we prevent future accidents uh, like this from happening again and in this case i'll bet you there's probably going to be adjustments in the in the f-35 training pipeline Um, so there you go that's a, a little bit of a review from that crash that happened last year
1: i mean you know as armando says it was always very sad when there are uh, 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 crashes like this and of course you've got to learn from these things haven't you, that's what these these investigations are all
0: about Yeah and I think when you've got new bits of kit especially with these helmets and stuff, a lot of the the flight helmets that pilots have nowadays have so much tech, tech yeah. built into them it's, it's just like having a flight deck on your yeah. in your face
1: is, is it got all the like the, they've the, the, all got the, the hud stuff i presume as well they, mm, or, yeah and but... lots
0: more there's so many things now that the these um these new helmets can do indeed it yeah i
1: amazing. bet uh, actually we've heard from armando while uh, that was was going out he's just sent us some photos
0: um now where did he, where did you say he was uh, I don't know where I don't know whereabouts he is, but he is at an airport somewhere in the US. Right, so well, that's very vague. It'll well done. <laughs> it'll, be either, it'll be either Charlotte or Atlanta. It'll be right. one of the two, Matt. My okay. guess. All right, then. I guess is Atlanta.
1: Okay, there we go. And as I say, and a lovely little picture there of a load of a load of American Airlines. Look at that. Look at the, Honestly, these you guys have all the fun. But you, you must be missing this though, Paul. Yeah, the the whole being in the airport. <laughs> and, no.
5: Of course, a little bit. Uh, uh, jumping back to what you was just said about the helmet every time somebody mentions a military helmet when you have a lot of stuff i'm thinking about this 1982 movie with clint hiswood firefox Fox. Oh, <laughs> supposed yes. To, yes. Think in russian, <laughs> to think in russian to think in russian to fly, to fight to fly that jet it's awesome it's just awesome it's just
1: awesome
3: absolutely
1: <laughs> uh, right on to oh, the next story that was in uh, phoenix
3: by the way oh phoenix, phoenix.
1: Oh, oh, phoenix. oh there we go oh, right. Oh, there, there we, we go. go there we go
0: yeah. lovely carlos you're next please yeah, this next story, this one is on theaviationist.com. And uh, Canada, uh, Auntie Liz's uh, home turf, has received <laughs> the first CC-295 Kingfisher search Ooh. and rescue aircraft. Ooh. Always important to have those. The Royal Canadian Air Force received uh, the aircraft on September the 25th, uh, the new CC-295W Kingfisher As the Airbus C295W is locally designated, the CFB, Comox or British Columbia, where the Royal Canadian Air Force will perform aircrew training and operational testing. And the new aircraft will replace the CC115 Buffalo and the CC130H Hercules uh, that are currently used in fixed wing search and rescue roles. This aircraft, uh, with tail number 501, uh, was formally accepted by Canada in Spain in December 2019. The Royal Canadian uh, Air Force provided in the press release a reason for the name that was adopted for the CEC 295. Uh, within the First Nations of the Northwest, the Kingfisher has long been recognized for its speed, agility, as well as its keen searching and hunting skills. Oh, yeah, so what are you doing there. Uh, found across uh, Canada, the Kingfisher well represents the abilities of our own search and rescue crews to accomplish that life-saving role. So upon delivery, Lieutenant General Al Meisinger, uh, Commander of the Royal Canadian Air Force, said the selfless dedication uh, of our aviators and the search and rescue services provided uh, provide to Canadians... Uh, brings great credit to the Royal Canadian Air Force and the Canadian Armed Forces. The transition to the new fixed-wing search and rescue fleet is a tremendous opportunity for us, uh, one we can take on with determination and pride. The uh, 295 is based on the C-295 Whiskey, uh, improved variant of the C-295 that also features winglets, increasing payload, range and safety margins over the mountainous terrain, while also reducing fuel consumption, Uh, Special provisions were made for specific features requested by Canada, like the Collins Aerospace ProLine Fusion Avionics, reinforcements to the lower rear fuselage to improve ditching operations and the addition of an upper escape hatch for a rapid aircraft evacuation if the aircraft is ditched in the ocean. A full enclosure for the main landing gear and vortex generators on the rear ramp to reduce aerodynamic drag and improve the time on station and increase the top speed. The aircraft has also uh, got provisions to allow uh, operations from unprepared runways, which is always handy. Uh, The mission equipment includes a multi-search Radar with a maximum range of 200 nautical miles, capable of tracking more than 100 contacts. An electro-optical infrared, uh, or EOIR, turret with a multi-spectral imaging. Automatic identification system, or AIS, to identify and locate ships, aircraft, land bases, and navigational aids equipped with AIS transponders. Two on-board operator stations, a large bubble windows for observation, And the integrated sensor suite will allow crews, according to the Royal Canadian Air Force, to locate persons or objects from more than 40 kilometres away, even in low light conditions. While the communications suite will increase inoperability with other search uh, and rescue assets such as the C-149 Cormorant. Well, it's good news. At least they've got uh, their search and rescue aircraft. Well, I dare say we could do with a few more in the UK. I'd say here. what was that
1: one? Those were the Sea Kings, weren't they? Weren't they the big? We well, used
0: to there? have the Sea Kings. Yeah, they retired those a few years back now. Mate. Yeah. but yeah, we used to have the Sea Kings. Very popular helicopter back in the day.
1: Yeah, I, I remember them very spot. fondly. because obviously where we are because we used to see them. We used to see them on the coastline quite a lot here. Didn't we? Mm. Um, yeah, uh, around. You're and we've man, actually man. got
0: one we've actually got one mat, which is literally probably half a mile from where you're sitting right now
1: oh uh, well flixton yes all <laughs> oh, right yes, okay yeah. very cool yeah, yeah. I, I, the, 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 that's the only sorry i'm gonna go on a rant now i absolutely love that museum and the most soul destroying thing about that is every time we've had a guest here to go and uh, and we want to go and take because it is an amazing museum uh, the bloody thing is never open
0: I managed to take Brian Coleman there oh, when he was here. Yeah, you did well. But the day I took him there, it was about minus, minus 6 tw- million. Right, OK, good. A warm day and yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> there we are. It's genuinely, it, it, if you get the chance, I'm oh, sorry, I, I I genuinely love that museum, which is why I'm absolutely gutted. And, and it's um, free to get in. Yeah, this is it. And, and uh, the, the most frustrating thing is because I know, for example, like Owen, when he was based here in the UK, I know he'd have loved to have had a look around that, that museum. And mm-hmm. every single time, that you, wh- whenever he's, days fell never never ever did he actually line up with when they were bloody open so i could take you which is really annoying anyway sorry i digress uh, we need to uh, move on yes. to the next so
0: paul you've got the last story and we have an announcement from uh, the red arrows about uh, a certain new leader
5: Yeah, red red leader. This is not Star Wars, but the (laughs) new Red One. Sorry, the new Red One is announced. Red Arrows. (laughs) Uh Ha! The uh, the Royal Air Force aerobatic team, the Red Arrows, have announced a new Red One for 2021. Squadron leader Tom Bold, a former frontline Typhoon pilot, takes over the role from outgoing Red One Martin Pert on the 12th of October. He's 39 years old, from Bradford, West Yorkshire. He joined the RAF and has previously been a Red Arrows pilot from 2015 to 2017, where he led the synchro pair in his final uh, season, having flown uh, as Reds 5, 7, and 6 during his time. He says, I can remember being inspired by the Red Arrows as a child. The thrill of seeing this awesome dynamic show of speed and teamwork, it it really motivated me that is what i'm most looking forward to now to have this special opportunity to create a memorable display that will inspire yet more people of all ages and background this is so so cool i'm sure everybody has seen the red and in another article that was in sorry because i know that you guys do that ukaviation.news and on UK, there's an article very similar where he uh, is interviewed and says that he wants to inspire with a dynamic air display. I don't know how much more dynamic he can get, but let's see <laughs> in 2020. No, well, it's awesome. I mean, I, I want to see even more dynamism in 2021. 20, uh, uh, does, does this article say anything more? I do not think so. It's per, or pretty much the same thing. Oh, wait, there, there you go. My first reaction was disbelief that I had been chosen as the next team leader which very quickly turn into excitement, then trepidation for the enormity of the job. The most daunting aspect of taking over as Red One is being able to maintain and build on the reputation that the Red Arrows have forged for the last last, uh, 56 years.
1: There you go. Wow. I mean, mean, this is the only thing that worries me a little bit, because uh, is it a yearly thing? Do they change every year or, or, or are they in post for sort of two, three, four years? Do we know the answer to that? Somebody in the chat room will be able to answer. I'm that, sure Mr. Warner would. Know, yeah, haven't. absolutely. But because mm-hmm. the thing is, it's like if you're only in, in post for one year, and you, and uh, you know, and that happens to be the year of a pandemic where basically you can do naff all and you can't do air shows and stuff. I mean, he's not going to have a busy first year, is he? This is. The but thing. then
5: again, did they, Did they not do so? They, they could do like you know a send off to a seven four seven well, or stuff yeah. like that. It's still you know you can still do socially distanced events that you know, across the UK, London, England, wherever, where you could see them, you know, absolutely. I think, you know, maybe not air shows, but even air shows, I'm pretty sure that you can manage air shows outdoors without having everybody packed and it can still work. I'm not sure about their plans for 2021, but why not? We
1: managed them, we Matt? We did, we certainly yeah. did. Uh, both Graham and Jonathan are saying they think it's a three-year stint that they tend to do, so both oh, Jonathan go. and Graham H- Hayley are saying. But, uh, I mean, I-, I say I genuinely can't see that they're going to have a particularly busy sort of, you know, year at the moment just because, you know, I mean, there aren't, you know, you think, like, the summer and what the calendar's like. I mean, Nev, uh, uh, we, were, we were chatting, actually, during the... The uh, during uh, Dan's um, bit there actually, it's one of the things that we're really missing so much is not being able to go to air shows and uh, you know there's a lot of work involved when we go to these air shows, but I mean Nev, I mean, I mean we just love it, don't we?
3: Yeah, it was great. I mean last year especially, <clears throat> all the things we did at Duxford and other places, Biggin Hill as well. Uh, it was great. All the interviews that we did there, absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, missing them a lot. So let's hope we can get back to at least some
5: of them uh, sometime next yeah. year.
1: Absolutely, okay. I'm sure we will. I'm Young, sure we yeah. will. I, I mean, sure at the will. end,
5: of, at the end of the day, I mean, the, maybe like the, lacking some international visitors, but you know, it's generally outdoors. You can manage. You know, it's like like not an, like an indoor arena, where probably you know the government will not allow it. So I'm true. sure we can have them.
0: True, true. So, moving on to the next part of the show, and uh, we've got some more listener feedback for. So, for, uh, for those who've been listening to the show each week, you'll know that we obviously ran the competition, the plane reclaimers, and uh, we had those guys on over on episode 324, where we had uh, Andrew Keegan on as a guest, and he gave us a prize which we gave away in a competition and part of that competition was to send us your stories about aviation in your life and this week's entry of aviation in your life has come from listener chris marsh
6: for many children their first experience of aviation may well have been the sight of a folded paper dart flying over their head made and thrown by an adult in an attempt to keep them amused. In some ways, it was the same for me, except the darts flying over my head were huge and extremely noisy. Countless times through my childhood, I would hear a roar and rumble overhead, and look up to find the distinctive, broad dart shape of a Vulcan bomber skimming between the clouds in the immense An open space of Lincolnshire skies. The first Vulcan bomber was delivered to the RAF in September 1956, when I was just one month old. Within a year, 83 Squadron were flying the aircraft out of RAF Waddington, which was soon joined by RAF Scampton and RAF Coningsby, making three out of the country's 10 main V-bomber bases within 20 miles of my parents' home. No wonder that these aircraft, with their exciting and distinctive sound, and always looking so graceful despite their size, provided some of my earliest memories. Of course, it was not always Vulcans flying over my young head. Other Lincolnshire airfields were the home to training and fighter aircraft too. Small jet provosts painted day-glow orange and white were easy to spot. More tricky were the camouflaged hawker hunters. Then there were the ageing vampires with their distinctive twin-boom mounted tail. And the tiny, but then state-of-the-art, followed gnats. Even so, the Vulcan was the queen of Lincolnshire skies throughout the 1960s. And if the Vulcan was the Queen of the Skies, then the King was undoubtedly the English Electric Lightning. I feel really privileged to have been taken as a child to an open day at REF Bimbrook, an airfield positioned on a rare patch of flat ground in the middle of the rolling hills of the Lincolnshire Wolds. The climb performance of the Lightning would still be impressive even today. Back then... It was completely jaw-dropping. All these years later, I still remember the way the aircraft screamed down the runway on full reheat. The very moment the wheels left the runway, they started to retract, and the aircraft pitched upwards into such a steep climb that in moments I was craning my neck to follow what had become a small silver dot. Even that dot quickly disappeared into a clear blue sky. Those on the ground could only tell from a crackling, fading rumble from the engines that the pilot was now somewhere way up there, ready to defend us if any chill wind from the Cold War should blow Soviet bombers in our direction. Despite my interest in aviation starting so soon, It was a long time before I got the chance to get into the air myself. We were very much a working class family and the idea of a foreign holiday was completely out of the question. So it was my work as a photographer that eventually brought opportunities to travel. After finishing art college, I had some really lucky breaks and as a 20 year old, I found myself working for Colin Taylor Productions then one of the country's leading motorsport picture agencies. Over the following years, I travelled all across the world, mainly as part of the press circus covering the World Rally Championship. However, my first overseas assignment for them was not by plane at all, but, as Matt might be interested to hear, by coach, though the trip did turn out to have aviation connections. In the summer of 1978, I was assigned to cover an excursion to Ypres in Belgium, which was organised for their readers by Rally Sport magazine. There I photographed Tony Pond uh, in the works Triumph TR7 win the rally. But more important for me, I met a guy called Chris Moss. Chris was the advertising manager for the magazine, and he would go on to be marketing manager for the fledgling Virgin Atlantic, At the time that they doubled their fleet size overnight they went from a single 747 to a fleet of two as a result of the connection with chris i did some photography for the airline in those early days but that's another story going back to my own aviation experience the first chance that i got to fly was in february the following year 1979 on a trip to cover the Galway Rally in the far west of Ireland. I flew from London Heathrow to Shannon and back on an Aer Lingus 737. I know that, not just because it stands out for me as my first flight, but because I had the foresight to start keeping a log of my passenger flights, much in the same way as a pilot might do. By the way, I'd never been particularly interested in becoming a pilot myself. I've always been more than happy to concentrate on the view out of the window and the flavour of the wine, while someone else deals with all that tricky stuff up front. Checking back though, I can see that I've done about 300 flights now through 54 different airports on around 29 basic aircraft types, not counting all the variants. These go all the way from a caravel the French contemporary of the Comet and the 707, and the even older, because of eye count, to the modern-day A380 and 787. In all that time, I find it hard to remember any part of the passenger experience that I didn't enjoy. Well, that's not quite true. Maybe a couple of hours on a hard seat in a stark grey windowless economy transit lounge at LAX, Waiting while our Air New Zealand 747 was refuelled wasn't so great. But that was very much the exception. Generally, though, I think that I've experienced something of a golden age for economy passengers back in the 1980s and 90s, before the airlines started squeezing in all those extra seats. For me, airports are places of excitement and anticipation. And once on board... I absolutely love looking out at the world from on high, especially, as I said, when I have a glass of wine in my hand. I'm close to retirement now and don't fly for work anymore, so I'm grateful for podcasts like Plain Talking UK that continue to feed my interest in aviation between my occasional leisure trips. After 20 years living in South East England, I'm now settled back in Lincolnshire again and I'm still looking up at those big, wide skies. Cuts in defence spending mean that there's certainly nothing like so many RAF flights as there used to be, though we do have a privilege of being the home base for the RAF Red Arrows. More often now when I look up, it's to watch the aircraft white contrails over my house as they fly the upper air route, taking them from Europe and all points east mainly to the United States, and Flight Radar 24 shows me exactly where they're from and where they're headed. Sometimes I even imagine that I'm up there too, glass in hand and a broad smile on my face. So that's my aviation story. Thanks again to everyone at PT UK, and I really look forward to hearing stories from the rest of you in the community.
1: I mean that's just fantastic so thank you Chris great great story I mean you guys do you get that same anticipation um, of you know when you're sitting in the airport um, you know is that when the excitement starts to build for you like you know sitting there waiting to get on the plane I mean I know you lot I, I don't but everybody you know you lot all love the sort of being on the airplane and sort of flying and all that kind of thing but it, you know I mean I don't know when does the excitement kick in for you?
3: uh smelling the jet a1 fuel uh, as i park my car
6: <laughs> uh, right okay
1: right okay say. so ne- nev's developed some kind of weird habit that's an interesting start uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean when do you carlos when does it sort of come I mean, for you
0: oh go ahead i i, ahead, I you know, matt knows as, as well as and if Gemma was sitting here next to me should say that that the excitement starts from from the literally the minute we, we load the cases in the car and Are you the, driving to the airport. And I'm yeah. I'm driving to the airport at like six thousand miles an hour. And I get to the airport, I wanna get to the desk, I wanna get checked in. I'm excited, I wanna get to the gate, I wanna see what aircraft we're on, I wanna get on board, I'm I'm excited all the way. I'm literally I am like a You're on, it, on, it like on a banshee
1: in the minute yeah. i leave here now paul presumably is slightly different for you maybe because obviously you do so much business traveling i mean do you, no, no, do you it's still the get that same actually
5: yeah, yeah yeah for me and i always have this thing i always take the the morning flight the super early if i could if i can leave the first flights out i've, I've done it actually very many times to go to switzerland for instance the 6 am one uh, because they're never late, right? The, the, because the aircraft is basically sitting on the ground. And th- unless there's fog, they're not, never going to be late. Oh, and when I fly internationally, I, I, I often fly, for instance, with Emirates, I would take the first one or the second one in the morning. So for me, really, the excitement is when I, ca- I have to wake up like I usually at 3am, 4am <laughs> <4 a>. <laughs> to get into the car to get because, you know, I need to check in by, let's say, five to get a, a flight at six or something. So for me, that the excitement is today. You know, for me, it's a day of flying. I usually think it, think of it as a day of flying. So I'm excited all the way throughout, all the way throughout. I'm, I'm for, for that. I'm very close to to Carlos. I really do enjoy. I know that sometimes, you know, the airport will be bothersome. It will, but delays and lines and whatever i mean of course not these days but i love it no matter what it's part of the experience it's not just only the flight it's the entire thing well i can be uh actually friends of mine i don't think i've ever revealed that in on this podcast i might have on mine but on this podcast i um i do not recommend people to be with me while i'm in the airport because i (laughs) i am very impatient and I, because I've done it so much, and also because it's part of my job, I see all the stuff that doesn't work. By the way, a terminal like T2 at Heathrow works very well, so I really have anything to say, so I'll be in a, in, in a good mood. But some terminals around the world, especially Frankfurt, for those who know me, will drive me crazy and I will be really of a bad mood. And it's the only time I'm never in a bad mood. I can't be in a bad mood in an airport, which is a bit paradoxical. But, yeah, there you go. <laughs> are,
0: you, are you one of these people, Paul, that goes through the airport? And you know when they have those little little stands next to the various services in the airport with saying, was your experience good? Green, yes. Red, no.
5: And you're the one who always hits it's the red button no 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 no, no, no. no because uh, because i'm generally kind to the to the to the staff and also because usually it's not their fault it's not their fault that the airport was badly designed, and all that the processes are badly designed. You know, the people do their best. I, I, you, you think that most? I, I, yeah, I know, and st- stanced it, stanced it, stanced it. Uh,
1: but, Now, come but, on. But
5: but but honestly, uh, in general, I think people do their best with the tools they're being given or the training they've been given. And, and I'm not here trying to excuse everybody. But I, at the end of the day, usually the people, you know, and it must suck. I don't know if you know. I when I was younger, I did retail. You know, like like jobs like on the front line and it sucks because you suddenly get all the wrath of the earth because you're the guy standing in front of the old process of the company behind you which you had nothing to do with and somebody's shouting at you I, i i will never shout over an employee ever i don't think it's fair i i I get that a lot actually weirdly with with what i what i one of the jobs
1: that i'm doing at the moment because i'm working for a company called naked wines and i work in their delivery team and you'd be horrified the amount of emails you get that basically go along the lines of that you know you'll literally get emails that you know your your late delivery has ruined my holiday and things like that And you just
5: think oh come on (laughs) exactly right Honestly, if the line at security (laughs) takes 10 minutes more than usual, it will not change anything. No, exactly. And and I I think what you started with about, you know, you're flying so many times Mm -hmm. and of course I have status and whatever, so I get the the nice side of it. I mean, I don't understand how people that fly so much can be actually angry. They get the actual best side of everything, the lounge, the best seats, whatever. And they're going to be angry about a five minute. I'm like, come on, guys. I mean, really, I mean, you have everything lined up. You're living a dream, and, and then you're going to complain. I mean, just smile and, you know, just whatever. I, actually, I Nev, and, Nev,
0: put aside what the situation we're all in now in, in, across the globe. What are the things that most frustrate you when you're going through the airport? You know, forget the, forget um, the COVID thing. So.
3: Yeah, difficult one to call that, actually, because um, normally, of course, it would be crowding. Uh, lots of yeah. people queuing for things um, but uh, the, the way it is at the airports at the moment there's there's plenty of room around um, I think the one thing I would say when I've checked a bag in uh, which I try not to do but when I do and I'm waiting for it to come off the carousel why do people have to stand so close to it <laughs> so they <that you> can't <laughs> see your bag and they stand right in front of you with their back facing you and uh, that yeah. annoys me uh, beyond measure I yeah.
5: say <laughs> Yeah. indeed it's Except- like those people uh, standing in the aircraft as soon as we're basically taxiing, and you're like you're not going to get out faster of the aircraft <laughs> yeah, you mean come yeah. on and
1: a bit of a pet I, I, I mean i get yeah. it
5: but yeah. yeah i mean at yeah. the moment
3: ba are, bo- uh, are boarding from the uh, uh the back of the aircraft of, for,
5: yeah, back to front uh, yeah. Uh, yeah and
3: then when they get off the aircraft um you're not allowed to stand up at all until you're until you're yeah. there and I have to say, that's working really well. And I'm is wondering it? whether they might continue that yeah. uh, for uh, post-COVID situations, because it's, so yeah. it's actually it works a heck of a lot better. Really. Now,
0: Paul, we've got about two mm, little over 10 minutes before we have to wrap up the show. But, Paul, we thought we'd uh, ask you for your kind of overview on uh, what you think is uh, maybe going to happen or is happening within the industry now, obviously from a layover's uh, perspective?
5: <laughs> well, you know, I, I work with a flurry of people in travel, so whether it's airlines, airports, bodies, and and also actually I should mention, because I don't think I've mentioned enough, like investors, so people that make investment decisions in, you know, investment funds, et cetera, whether or not to invest in travel-related businesses, including airlines, of course. So they, they all, especially now, they all want to know, what's going to happen, et cetera. So I don't have a crystal ball. The one thing I would say, and it's always fun to talk with geeks for that, the, the, the one thing we need to pay attention of is first we have our own cognitive and narrative bias. Like I travel, so let's say, I, I, I don't right up, but let's pretend I travel. So yeah, I travel and I can do it and it's not a big problem. So it, it's not a problem. Like, yeah, but a few guys do not make an industry. It's not because... Nev is traveling, and I love Nev, and I love that he's traveling. And as I said at the top of the show, I live vicariously through his own travels because I don't do it. <laughs> That's not enough to actually make an industry, right? And there's a lot of this, actually, when you read comments or even sometimes articles in the, in the newspapers that somebody would say, due to my experience traveling, it's okay, and it's back to normal. Like, yep, yeah, still a lot of people are not traveling. Business are not sending their Guys, And the other thing that is also linked to that that is very important is that there's a difference about what should happen, what we want to happen, and what is happening. And when I do the kind of work I do, I, uh, I really look at what is happening. I'm not, and, and by the way, here as well, I'm not making a judgment whether it's good or, or, or bad. It, it's just stuff that is happening. But I'll start with one comment. I am disappointed. I'm extremely disappointed compared to a few months ago because I really thought... That especially in Europe, compared to uh, countries in East Asia that have dealt with this pretty well, as in people living within the bounds of their own countries, whether it's in Taiwan, whether it's in Thailand, whether it's in South Korea, whether it's in even New Zealand, etc., can live a pretty normal life. They cannot travel, fair enough, but they can live a pretty normal life. In Europe, we didn't choose that either. We didn't close the borders, really, and we didn't actually... Uh, squashed the virus either. So we, we are in this kind of weird situation. And when I say I'm disappointed is because for travel, especially for us to save travel, if we had done more, if we had a plan and say we, of course, as governments and other bodies, if we had a plan, we had a, a full summer of respite. We knew a respite was coming to have some type of plan, whether it's testing at airports, whether it's, you know, a, a basically processes or simply harmonizing, uh, various parts of the, the process within Europe, at least. And it didn't happen. You know, you have different processes depending on the airport and the countries. You mentioned that already in the show. So that's my disappointment. Now, as how it will happen, I think the biggest mistake was, uh, and I had a lot of pushback at, at the start when I, when I said that, the biggest mistake was, I think, from governments, but also from airlines to think that this will last four to six months, whether it's clearly a two to five years timeline depending on, you know, of course, virus, luck, et cetera, whether or not we'll, we'll go out early. And which makes, which feels that we're a bit surprised and that some of the bailouts that have been given around the world will not be enough. There will be more, sadly, people getting fired because, again, you know, we had, and, and that's part of the narrative, we had a uh, an exceptional summer, basically. When I say exceptional, is not exceptional compared to previous years. We were the only continent in the world that was able to truly travel with airplanes. It was Europe. Nobody else was able to. So we had this kind of feeling that, oh yeah, look, it's back to kind of normalization. it will go up. You know, this, oh, it's getting better, so it can only get better. And of course it didn't. And now everybody's suffering. So sadly, I don't think that looking at the people I'm talking to, the airlines I'm talking to, that you won't have any betterment before March or April for the short term, as in it will be in that kind of... uh, middle ground when, you know, people are freaking out, governments are freaking out, are freaking out. As I said earlier, governments right now are all prioritizing their own residents. Uh, not that they don't want people to travel or they don't want people to come. We've seen that in the summer, of course, with Italy or Greece or Portugal, etc. They want it because they rely on tourism. But, of course, as everybody's freaking out whether or not there's a wave or not, and this is not the point here the point is that the behavior of government will be like let's protect our let's try to protect our own and not add more from abroad whether it's good or not again i'm not making a, a judgment i'm saying this is probably what will happen and that will happen for a few more months there's no business travel at least until you know spring next year and then that creates this kind of issue is that uh, airlines will have to downsize. Actually, I think sadly, and I know I will anger people by saying that, but I think BA had no choice but to downside because at some point you can artifici- artificially maintain jobs through government programs. But the reality is uh, some people are saying, and I tend to agree with them that, traveling the way we did in 2019 which is you know pretty freely at least for people like us living in the u.s or in in europe uh won't happen before 2025 probably so it's you know five years so you cannot make sadly pay for people to stay in jobs that don't exist that long And and i'm sorry i'm not saying that with with a good uh i'm not happy about this so i think it will sadly take take a long, slow recovery, unless, and that's the thing, that's the hope, the, the, the vaccine. I know people mm. don't really like the vaccine. Myself, actually, I'm, you know, when you hear that the vaccine has been fast-tracked and we're doing fast-tracking, I'm not fully comfortable with it. I'm probably not the first person to need a vaccine because I'm not particularly at risk. But at the same time, as I said also earlier, I'm flying very often to Asia, and I know from having talked to uh whether it's government bodies or other authorities in that continent, they will require the visa. That will be basically your passport. You will have to have a visa to enter. So I will get the I will get the, the, the vaccine because that would be my only way to being able to enter in places where travel. I usually work without yeah. to, to travel, but also to enter because that's the thing. It's not the fault of the airlines. It's the, the countries that will say, mm-hmm. no, we, our country is closed. As I said earlier, Australia, basically said they won't open before a vaccine, and they said right now the deadline is December 2021, which is insane. We never thought it would be one and a half year closed. Imagine the poor Australians are closed. New Zealand that has basically tried and almost succeeded to crush the virus, same. Uh, uh, countries like um, Thailand, same. So Thailand was supposed to open, it's a good example, they were supposed to open for uh, tourism. So not the traditional tourism. They said, we're going to say that if you want to come to Thailand for let's say two, three months, so long-term tourism, you could, you can enter. That was supposed to start this week or maybe early next week, I, I forget. And uh, all the plans were put in place, all the procedures were put in place, but there were many Surveys done uh, around the country in Thailand, asking the locals whether or not they agree with it, and the vast majority of people say no, no, no we don't want anyone coming in. The, the government just scrapped this. The, the country is staying shut, and that's what I, comes back to my point: is that sadly for us, that love travel, governments will have these kind of behaviors for a little longer, not forever, by the way, mm-hmm. but for a little longer, try to defend their borders. Because they're like we 'd rather not import any more cases, and that will not come into our own um, our own betterment because we 'd like to travel the, the last thing I will say because i don 't want to be too too boring here is that obviously where it will start, and we saw that with Europe is neighboring countries countries that are used to work together, which is why probably at some point you will have like a travel bubble between Australia and New Zealand which is why we had a travel bubble in Europe, and that will continue no matter the current quarantines. We will have a standardization because at least that we know to, to work with each other. At some point, I also believe, for instance, New York to London might have some travel because, again, these are cities that, are, that work so close together, usually, that probably will find ways. So this will start this way. It will not be only the entire planet opening. It will be First people that in countries that are used to travel together between each other that used to work together, so that will be an increasing. But I I think sadly, and I don't want to be the it's not about doomsaying. I think that listening to all these government bodies, and again, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. This is not the point. What they're gonna do is important. They're not gonna open fast. They're still gonna maintain quarantine. There's sadly not enough currently testing capability to being able to do testing at scale at borders. Even Germany, which has a very big industrious um, uh, platform with all their companies, is actually retreating and offering testing at airports because there's not enough testing for the locals. So they're going to first say the locals can get and then the travels will get. So I think they will, we will get there. We could have gone, and that's my, going to be my last comment, we should have gone faster. Because if, if we had the mindset of, okay, this is going to be a, a long battle, and by the way, if you listen to basically all the politicians at the start they were saying, this is a war, you know, we're using these very strong terms. Okay, so if this is a war, you should place your money there, you should place your investments there. We did it, we don't really have a plan. It's not only the UK, we know we live here, we know what messes have happened. But pretty much all countries, when I talk to friends in Europe and abroad, have had their own issues because we didn't plan and now we're kind of late and we have to kind of deal with how we're gonna cope and which will delay but the, the outcome. But again, I'm hopeful. But to be frank, I don't think that the airline industry will recover the way we knew it before at least 2023, twenty-three, four, sadly. Sorry, I didn't want to be a downer, by the way, when I say no, this. No, but, but well, I mean, but, it's, but it's realistic, the, the, isn't it? The, 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 one, the one thing I will say, however, is that the airlines that will be very good about that will probably be the best coming out of this will be the low-cost airlines because they don't rely as much on business travelers. Yeah. They usually stay within their own continent, whether it's Southwest in the U.S. or stays in, in domestic U.S., whether it's Ryanair, Wizz Air, and EasyJet, because these are the three best and most uh, uh, pan-European airlines, low-cost airlines. They are doing pretty well in terms of, they, they are the ones pushing that average that we're telling you about, yeah. about uh, uh, how much they have on their balance sheets. So, uh, and, and, and in a way, of course, I like BA, I like, you know, all the, the traditional airlines, but you are, you know, I'm a business owner as well. And I must admire the fact that someone like Wizz Air is able to tell, to tell us, yeah, we have 24 months of survival because we did a good business model. And then you have other airlines like Lufthansa, KLM, Air France, Iberia that need like billions and billions of the government to even survive six months. You're like, yeah. in a pure business sense, who's right here? probably with Airway and Air and
1: EasyJet.
5: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not having
1: to rely on said bailouts to sort of essentially keep uh, keep themselves afloat. I mean, there's a lot there to digest, Paul. Thank you for... Uh, yeah, thank sorry you. that was thoughts. a bit... Uh, it's, no, not at good. all. No, really that's interesting good, stuff, absolutely. Um, so uh, the time has come to wrap up, Carlos.
0: Yes, it has. Uh, Matt's going to quickly flick a picture up on the screen, uh, oh, is, yes. which is from listener Jan Hubner. Uh, for those of you, what, he, he's been watching us on his big screen at home. So thanks Ooh, for that, that, Jan. That's, that's very a... very, yeah, very I'll, nice. I'll, of you I can.
1: wonder if we're in 4K. Yeah. <laughs> I, I we are in 1080p so now,
0: so that, there is yeah. progress there, yeah, absolutely. Ooh, thanks nice. uh, <laughs> thanks for that, Jan, that's very nice. Uh, good, uh,
3: good cable management too,
1: I
0: think. Yes, I knew, you, I knew you'd <laughs> spot that, Nev, I knew you'd spot that. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't forget, you can find us on all the usual social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, search for Plane Talking UK. Don't forget that WhatsApp number, plus plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. if you want to get your picture on the green screen behind Matt in the PTUK studio, or if behind me on my green screen yeah absolutely uh you can also email the show podcast at plain talking uk.com and don't forget to check out our website all the w's dot where you can find the links to our store where you can buy a ptuk t-shirt or you can buy a ptuk mug or you can become a very awesome patron of the show uh, to help us push things through the show and donate to the show through paypal as well on there and also, if you shop on Amazon, as I have done twice this week, Matt, thanks very much. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Use our Amazon link <laughs> to uh, purchase your purchases through Amazon, and we get a, real, uh, slight, a small referral fee, uh, which is awesome as well. So, Paul, before you, uh, we shut things down, don't forget to give your awesome show a plug. So go ahead, Paul. <laughs>
5: Well, you know, we, I haven't released any episodes since April, but I've just committed to Carlos uh, that uh, I will uh, by the end of this <laughs> month. So it will come. Layovers.2. But you know what? Uh, I'm going to reveal that, although I should have revealed that on my own show. Uh, I've not released a single episode since April, as I said. Yet, in since April, we've reached... Uh, number one on aviation, top you know the top Apple uh, shows aviation in exactly 18 countries. Wow! By not releasing anything, so I'm sometimes I'm thinking should I maybe <laughs> I never release it. again? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, 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 we were number one yeah. in Hong Kong, in Japan, in Greece, in Switzerland, Qatar, in Dubai, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to release anything. People really don't want to listen to me, actually. Yeah. So yeah, uh, layovers dot two at lay underscore overs. And you'll always find my name, which is impossible to pronounce and thus impossible to write down. So just go there and you'll find me as well. Thank Absolutely. you, guys, for uh, having, having had me tonight. Always, a, always a pleasure,
1: all. Paul. Uh, make sure when you do do the next one that, you, you know, well, if, we'd, we'd like a slice of that pie as well. So do feel free to give us a mention. Uh, <laughs> <I will. laughs>
0: So, we are going to say a big thanks to all the YouTube uh, viewers tonight. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in tonight to watch us. And also a big thanks to everyone who listens to the show as an audio download. Don't forget to give us a little mention on the old uh, ratings if you download us on iTunes. We would love that awesomely. So, we're going to say a big thanks, lastly, then, to Paul. Thanks, Paul, for joining us tonight. You have been absolutely legendary as always. Nev, it's been great to have you 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 you. you back on the show. So thanks Nev to you. Thanks to Matt and not forgetting Armando and a big thanks as well to John for all the pre-show work that he's done this week for us. So big thanks to you, John. So from me, Carlos here in my PTUK studio from Matt in the master PTUK studio. Hello. Goodbye. From Paul <laughs> in his glorious studio and from Nev in the NevTech studios. Bye. See you next week. Take care. Have a great weekend. Bye, everyone. bye
1: everyone.
5: See you later. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.